back real quick because you, you mentioned uh, Mutiny and Love Bazaar uh, Love Bazaar with that hit and run thing the the horn mm-hmm. stuff that you were doing in that song uh, let me take you back to uh, there was a Sheila E home video thing and they had showed it on MTV at one point right right and yeah. mm-hmm. you guys come in at the end this is one of the moments where I was like you don't you don't, don't let Prince up on your stage because he'll he'll just well take that the that show. was all you know obviously the, yeah that was all you know planned planned out, out. You know, but, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, to us it played a whole different way but, but when you guys came up there and uh, did Love Bazaar with Sheila mm-hmm. E and there's a point where uh, they go into you go into this horn thing with yeah. you and mm-hmm. that was some of the dopest horn lines I was like what's going on and Prince was over to the side of the stage acting a fool or something but I me mean, y'all yeah, was yeah. killing that right there you guys were on well, fire thank you man thank thank you I, I appreciate that i mean you know once again that was just a wonderful opportunity that 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 i had for prince to come to me and basically say um you know do something there you know you 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 got something and and um but, you know basically what i what i would do on, on a line with that is i i would just sit you know i you know, I'd, I'd take a few minutes or something, and, and I'd sit with Bliston, and, and we'd just start playing lines. You know, just it, it was just like taking something that lines that I, I might have played in an improvised solo or something, and, and, and just sketch them down. You know, just write them down or whatever, and, and, and then and then give them to Bliston, and then maybe he throw. You know, a, a, he would throw a turn in it or something like. So, well, that's a cool line, but what if we? You know, when you get to that point, what if we? What if we take a left turn with that there? And that was just the thing that him and that him and I had. But but it was it was just the fact that Prince was so supportive and and you know that he was looking for those different kinds of things then. And and I was just lucky to have been there then. Mm. You know because because look look think of it think of it this way. When he decided to bring in a saxophone into his music, he could have very easily have thought you know, I want a saxophone in the music. Let me call David Sanborn. <laughs> right. Let me call Michael Brecker. 
or let me call this young cat Branford Marcellus, or hell, let me just get Maceo. Well, why? You know, he could have done that because these are guys that would have. You know, look, if 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 I had if I had not had anything to do with Prince and had just been you know just living my life, and I had all of a sudden, you know, found out that oh my God. Prince has got David Sanborn playing with. That would have made me go buy Prince records. I want to hear what David Sanborn or Macy or Michael Brecker would have done because, you know, those were my guys. Mm. You know, that would have brought me into Prince's music. But, but it was just fortunate for, for, for somebody like me at that point that Prince was not interested in bringing in a known entity, mm. you know? And that's why I kind of laughed years later when he finally brought Maceo into his band, like, you know... When, you know, in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. and I laughed, and I just told Alan, I said, he finally got the cat he probably should have gotten from day one. <laughs> you know? so, well, man, let me, t- let, me, let me tell you, though, Eric, see, the thing about it, man, is that, so for me, when I listen to you guys, how you play, I, I want to know, I wonder, like, how, where does that come from? Because to me, I, I was wondering, is he like a dancer or something? Because you have this very particular, it's like a funky-ass rhythm and timing about your stuff. That I'd be it like, comes from Maceo. Well, I know, I mean, but you, 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 you interpret know? it a different way. I was like, is he got a black girlfriend or something? Like, what? Where is he? <laughs> where, where, where is he getting this from? Because <laughs> his shit is actually, cold, man. Actually, well, for for for, I did, for, I did, for, I did around that time. Uh-huh. Aha! But you know, that, 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 <laughs> but that that's you know, uh, um, that's another story. That, that, you know, that that's superfluous to that. But <laughs> no, it 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 really would. I, I tell you what, it it's like of all of the saxophone players that, um, you know, that were influential on on me and that I, I that I, I grew up with. You know, and particularly the jazz guys like Coltrane and Wayne Shorter. Um, probably th- th- there's a lot of Wayne Shorter in those kind of lines from the jazz mm-hmm. sense, but the rhythmic sense of it is. Um, as, as I said, when, you, you know, I, I came up at a time when my love of jazz and R&B was not mutually exclusive. You know, it was like I said, it was, it was, I could sit and I could listen to John Coltrane play Love Supreme and all of that stuff for an hour and then turn right around and listen to, to James and Cole Sweat and There Was a Time mm-hmm. and bring it up and, and all of that stuff. To me, it was just, you know, to me, the sound of James Brown's voice resonated with me in the same way that the sound of John Coltrane's tenor did. Okay. To me, they were doing the same thing. The, the music around them was different, but that's how I heard it, you know? Um, but the ability that I had to come in and play a tenor saxophone in the context of, of, of music like Prince's is because that I had, had grown up listening and, 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 and you know, bringing into my, myself or whatever, um, Fathead particularly, Maceo, and there, were, there, was another, there was another tenor player in, in, in the 50s and 60s, a guy named King Curtis, who was mm-hmm. one of the most iconic saxophone players in pop music. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the, from the mid-70s to the 80s, you know, if, if you heard a saxophone solo on an R&B or funk song, it was probably going to be David Sanborn. You know, I mean, he was the go-to guy. And really brought you know a whole new way of 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 you know I mean he was just the the, the standard of what a saxophone could be in in R and B and and you know R and B flavored pop music. Well, during the '60s, that guy was was King Curtis. I mean, he was like you, you know if you if you heard an R and B song, 
In the 50s and 60s, they'd had a tenor saxophone solo, and nine times out of ten it was this guy, King Curtis. He was an absolutely phenomenal player. Unfortunately, he was, he was murdered in, in, in 1972. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was like an iconic guy. You could not listen to R&B and not be aware. And, and he had a lot of hit records on his own. I mean, he was, he was a very well-known mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, R&B artist on his own. Um, so, so my having 20, you know, 20 plus years of listening to and learning how to play this instrument from those guys, that was like, they wrote the instruction book. If okay. there was, you know, if there's an instruction book on how to play the tenor saxophone in the context of that music, these are the guys that wrote it. So it was just a combination of all that. My, my particular rhythmic spot came from Ray Charles and James Brown. Hmm. Um, from a standpoint, it's, it's, it's behind the beat, you know? Mm-hmm. I just lay back a little bit behind the beat. Sheila, you, Sheila used to get on my case sometimes because when I was playing with Sheila, I would lay back behind the beat sometimes that it almost sounded like I was dragging. And she would laugh. And she said, you, you know, I said, you want to join us in the same room? <laughs> you know, like, like, it's like, it's, it's like, it feels like you're playing another, and I'd laugh. And, and, and you know, but it's just, that's where my, that's where my pocket was. So They're kind of laid back in the groove type of yeah, just laid you know. laid back and 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 just you know and and that that's I mean you know there was nobody in funk that had that pocket like Bootsy did right you know I mean his his pocket was like n- nobody else's I mean that rhythm section that he had with his brother on guitar Phelps Collins on guitar mm-hmm. and with Frank Waddy on drums there was n- there was there wasn't a rhythm section ever that felt like that either before or since. That was just one of the sure. greatest rhythm sections I ever heard. You know. Yes. Let me uh, bring in uh, Big uh, Ken and, and, and uh, Big Sexy. Big Sexy, you had a question? Yeah, yeah, I did. Eric, uh, going back to the Sign of the Times tour, mm-hmm. when you said it was really, st- <coughs> excuse me, really structured with the lighting cues and whatnot, uh, there's some footage of you guys playing like an after show with... Um, Ron Wood from the Rolling Stones. Now, when oh, you yeah. would do the after shows, was that more like you said, like a hit and run type deal where you guys would just get up there and just let it rip and play whatever you feel like? Yeah, pretty pretty much so. We we kind of had an alternate book um, for, for for the after shows. I mean, you know, we we occasionally we play Cold Sweat. Occasionally we would do some Aretha Franklin songs. Prince would sometimes do a, uh, an old Temptation song, and then you know, and we and we throw in some of the songs from the regular set, um, like. Uh, um, you know, we'd, we'd usually do like something like it's going to be a beautiful night, you know, because that's a song that once you hit it, you could just jam on that for 10 minutes and just let that roll. So, so yeah, those, those were more, more open-ended stuff, you know, for that. And then, you know, Prince needed that because he also, um, you know, I, I, you know, I stated that, you know, that, that I was bored with the tours before, but you know, Prince would get bored with the tours before himself. You know, on, on, for example, on the Sign of the Times tour, the, the, the original plan was for that was, you know, we went to Europe and we did, we, we did the tour in Europe for a couple months and then we were going to come back and then tour the States w- w- with that show. Well, the last week that we were in Europe, Prince said, I'm done with this. And he said, instead of touring the States, we're going to film the show and I'm going to release it as a video and that's going to be in lieu of a U.S. tour. 
So we never played that show in the States. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> uh, I'm not pleased about that either. But <laughs> I'm, well, we, we weren't either from the standpoint, not even, even though I said that I was uncomfortable on the stage, but, but here, here's something a lot of people don't know. Um, the, the, the way musicians are normally paid in a, in a band like that is that there are two tiers of payment. You get an off-road salary and you get an on-road salary. And the on-road salary is by nef- definition higher than your off-road salary. <laughs> so when we're on the road, we're getting paid more. So we wanted to be on the road. <laughs> you know? So when we saw that two or three months go away, it was like, ah, shit. <laughs> wow. Now, y'all weren't getting new edition checks, were you? No, it was like, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was like well, well we, we, we saw the sign of those times, and those times are over. <laughs> uh, Big Ken. Yeah, so piggybacking on this, what you just said, Eric, uh, like, you know, he got tired of touring, you know, mm-hmm. overseas, and he brought it back to the States, and he was going to film it. And yeah. so just the first question is, now, on this Sign of the Times movie, you know, during the I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man, that horn, the, the horn lines that you and, and Atlanta Bliss are playing mm-hmm. are, are gorgeous. Uh, I'm going to assume that you wrote that. That yeah, I think is is that the thing that was at the tail end of the song? Yes, rock yes, hard in yes. the funky place line, right? That that's that's rock hard in the funky place. Yeah. Okay, but did but did you come up with that though? That yeah that line? yeah yeah that yeah that was my line. It was actually a song of mine that that I actually uh, um, perform with with my group with Paul occasionally called uh, we have we've got a group called LP Music. Mm-hmm. It was a song that I had that I had written, and it's just it's just the it's just the the melody of a song of mine called Pacemaker. Um, hmm. that I, I actually had recorded a version of it for my second album, and I, I, I didn't put it on the album. It was an outtake. I, di- I didn't get a version that I re- really liked that much, but, but it was a song of mine that I just, just kind of took, and because Prince wanted this line for Rock Hard in a Funky Place, and I think I had it like half done, and he, and he, he wanted something that was just really kind of out, out there. Um, so it, I, I kind of completed the line for that, and, and then... then since the black album had had you know didn't get released at that point, then whenever in fact in fact we actually we used that line and would play it at the end of Housequake sometimes I think on the Love Sexy tour I think somewhere in the Love Sexy tour we were playing that line somewhere too and I think it might have been Housequake um, yeah but that, yeah that that was my line now, yeah I just wanted to make sure I, I I assumed that that was your line but I just wanted to give you props for it that's a excellent line love it every time i hear it yeah well so, thank you man that was that was actually it was it was a line that was kind of inspired there, there, there was a, a saxophone player a, an iconic saxophone player from from the 60s by the name of eric Dolphy. oh yeah um who was a very avant-garde i mean this cat was like really out there mm-hmm. um and and he was a very in, early influence on and and um the line was kind of influenced by the kind of stuff that he would have come up with it was kind of my version of like okay i'm gonna try to be eric dolphy for a minute so it was kind of influenced by that kind of stuff um for, you know very angular was it was almost a mathematical kind of thing so for, for every time the line went up i wanted to turn around and have it come down in 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 a similar fashion interval wise so it, it, it was just so it, it you know was more it was it was more of an exercise than anything else but 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 like i say it, it, you know prince, prince was prince was really open to that kind of stuff so I, I was just you know very fortunate that that you know he gave me those opportunities so nice so now if i recall correctly so now later in that year and this is around 87 mm-hmm. so 
I think wasn't it toward New Year's Eve that Pr- Prince and and uh, Miles Davis met? Well, they, the first time or, or he he showed up at one of the, the shows or something like that. We we had, we had met before. We we actually Prince and I had done a song for Miles um, um, about a year before that called "Can I Play with You." Mm-hmm. You know, Miles had left Columbia Records and moved to to Warner Brothers, and since Prince was on Warner Brothers. Um, and and Miles was a huge fan of Prince, and 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 being that I was, you know, that Miles was probably the the most significant musician for me of anybody, um, and Prince Prince was already into a lot of Miles' music. I mean, Prince used to listen to a lot of Miles, um, and I re- I read in in a, in an interview back in oh, this is back around eighty five I think an interview in Downbeat Magazine where, where Miles was talking about how much he dug Prince. And I made damn well sure that Prince knew that. <laughs> because I figured, well, maybe someday Prince will reach out to Miles. It's stranger things that happened. <laughs> and I said, if that happens, I'm going to be around. <laughs> you know, said, so, and, and as it happened, you know, they, 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 they did meet. Uh, earlier in 87, Miles was... Um, playing a concert in, in Minneapolis. And he came, came into town the night before to come out to one of our rehearsals. And uh, this, was before the, this was the sign of the time rehearsals, and, he, and I think it was in April of 87. And um, he, w- he came out to spend uh, an evening at Prince's house. And so Miles came by rehearsal, and I met Miles for the first time. And... Of course, I'm I'm just like oh my god, you know, <laughs> and and of course Matt Bliston, he's he's like sitting talking with Miles, and I'm looking I'm looking at Miles and Matt talking to each other, and I just sat back and I said, oh this is this is fabulous, this <laughs> this is because I can't tell you how many nights that after gigs that Matt Bliston and I would be on the road for you know years before we ever worked with Prince, where we you know we'd be in the hotel room on the road somewhere for some goofy gig that we were doing. And all we would be doing is sitting and listening to Miles and talking about that. And here, now Miles is coming to our rehearsal, and he's sitting there, and he's in a conversation with Matt Bliston. And I said, man, this is so cool. So anyway, <laughs> when the rehearsal ended, I went home. And I got a call from one of Prince's assistants. And he said to me, he said, um, did Prince tell you that he invited you to join him and Miles for dinner? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, he did. I said, okay. So I, I was already like, I was already like frying a hamburger or something. I turned off the stove. I grabbed through my, through my clothes on. I jumped my car and went right out to Prince's house where Miles was. And Prince, Sheila, Miles, myself, and Prince's father, we all had dinner that night. Wow. And obviously that was a night I'll never forget. Um, what was it like and, to have these two? You have Miles and you have Prince. The, it, it, the it was room. hilarious. It was funny because first of all, you have to understand that here are two guys whose individual egos mm. can suck the air out of a room. <laughs> okay. You know, mm-hmm. and they absolutely adored each other for what each represent because Miles saw a lot of himself in Prince because Prince was the counterculture guy. Prince was the guy who went against the grain. Mm. He was the guy who was like, if this is what you think I should do, then that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the opposite. And that's what Miles was all through his career. 
And Prince saw that in Miles and looked at Miles as like kind of a template for what he was, you know, it was like, I can do this because this is what Miles could do. Mm. But inside each other, they were all dan- they were both dancing around each other because although they but both really respected each other, neither one of them wanted to give it up to the other. <laughs> Competition, <laughs> competitiveness. You know, wasn't so you, you know, it, it, you know, it was like if I could read their minds, I could just see that Prince is looking at Miles and saying, "Yeah, you're Miles Davis, but you're old. I'm the new kid on the block here." Mm. And I could see Miles looking at Prince and saying. Yeah, you're the nu- you're the young cat coming up, but without me, there's no you. Mm. And that's how the relationship was. But it was hilarious. But they 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 absolutely loved each other. Um, and and just to see them now now one of the reasons I think that Miles that that Prince asked me to come to dinner is he knew that he knew that anything in the world that knew about Miles I was going to know, and I took advantage of it. I said, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to get an opportunity like this, so I'm just going to start you know, talking to Miles about anything. And I got Miles rolling, and Miles wouldn't shut up. He just just started talking about anything, and we just sat back and let him roll because he had an audience. Look, Miles is an entertainer too, you know, and he had an audience. It was me and Prince and Sheila and Prince's dad, but he had an audience, and we're just sitting there listening to this, and it was absolutely fascinating and phenomenal. You know, wow. it was just, it was, yeah, it was and funny because Miles is absolutely hilarious. You know, <laughs> well, yeah. that that uh, I think the concert uh, that the Ken was talking about uh, was like yeah that that was that was a New Year's Eve gig mm-hmm. that we did by invitation only at, on the soundstage at Paisley, New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty-seven, December thirty-first, nineteen eighty-seven, mm-hmm. and um, like I say, it was invitation only, um, and. Prince invited Miles to, 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 to come to that. So Prince was a guest there, or Miles was a guest there, and of course the, 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 the implication was that if you wish to join, bring your trumpet and join us on stage, we would be thrilled. And of, of course he did. Um, so for all of us, I mean, that was just you know a moment to, to be remembered. Um, there was one very, very funny thing that happened, of course, on that. We had, um, Prince had a, a, a several hand cues mm. that he would give the band at any given time that meant that there was a little riff or a little lick of something that the band would play. And there were three or four different ones, and depending on whether Prince threw up his fist in the air, we knew that it was this little lick that he wanted us to play. He'd shake his hand one way, it was this or that or the other. And at any given time in any song, he might throw one of those up. So we all, all knew you know, to keep our eye on Prince for any of those cues. So at that point where Miles is playing... Prince throws us one of the cues, but nobody paid, any, paid him any mind <laughs> because we were all concentrated on our miles. Now, the fortunate thing is that nobody hit the cue because if some people had hit it, then it could have sounded like a train wreck. Mm. But no one paid any mind, and Prince got real pissed. <laughs> and, and Miles is playing. Prince throws up his arm, and no one pays him any mind. And finally, he yells, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm still running things here. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm still the boss, you know? Wow. And, and all of us kind of look at him as if to say, uh, what do you want? Hilarious. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, was, it was hilarious, you know. So, now, Prince, Prince laughed about it later, because even he said, yeah, I guess I, I got to give Miles that one, you know. But it was like, yeah. But See, this it, yeah, is interesting. Was, you mentioned this, because... To me, when I look at it, 
it almost to me seems it's like Prince was trying to throw Miles off or something like because I was like he's got all these little tricks up his sleeve that the band knows but there's no way Miles is going to know all these little cues and he just is going to play you know well it was really it was really just to give something else for Miles to play off of okay because that's what because he knew that's what Miles would do Gotcha. You know, so if you really listen to it, some of those cues, it just, you know, gives, it gives, it gives Miles just as, okay, I get it, you know, go in this little direction. Because that's the same kind of stuff, because Prince would throw those cues behind me on a solo now and then. Mm. So it was basically the same thing. But yeah, you're right. Prince did like, you know, excuse me, he liked to screw with people. But that, that, was, that was the fun. That was the fun of it. Right. You know, if, if, if I didn't mind it. It was it was fun for me and, and other people in the band, all of us, that, that Prince would just kind of, you know, throw us out there and, and put us in a situation where it was like, okay, sink or swim, what you going to do? You know, those are the things that I appreciated. Um, you know, that kept, you know, kept it interesting. Keep it so. sharp for sure. I mean, you had to really pay yeah, attention. Yeah. Now, on but, that... But, I mean, by, by the same token, he, you know, obviously he had to have the trust in us to know... Mm that in the middle of a concert in front of 15,000 people, he could throw a curve like that and know that any of us were going to be able to mm-hmm. take advantage of that and, and, and come up with something that would work. So, Wow. Did you guys hey, have... Oh, oh, real oh, quick. Sorry. You said you had like four or five different things he could jump into. And it sounds like when you, when you watch that particular performance, like after Miles leaves, you guys go into like a whole another like 30 minutes of these it seemed like they're different songs or something but they seem to all flow together and he'll just jump into one thing and the beat would drop into this and then like him and cat will have it seem like pre-done routines they just jump into and what, what, oh yeah 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 they, they you know it was like for, for things like that there was just kind of like a backlog of 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 uh, um just devices mm. you know that that we had and and then and then you know once again there there were times that um once again, he, he, he would give me a lot of opportunity in situations like that to just spontaneously come up with stuff. And the fact that me and Bliston had played together for so long that I could, I could throw a cue to Bliston for something or just come up with a line okay. and play it in Bliston's ear and Bliston could cop it like that and then we'd, we'd jump, jump into it. Give you an example of how we took that to, to even a greater degree. Um, but by the mid to late 90s, I, I was no longer in, in, in involved with Prince in, in, in any capacity, really. You know, you know um, the last kind of thing, I did some things with him in 1996, and then we kind of went our, our separate ways for like six, seven years. Um, and then in 2002, um, which is the band that he had, um, oh, it, was, it was the tour he called the One Night Alone Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it, it was it was playing music from the album he called uh, 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 Rainbow, Rainbow Children, Children. Yeah. yeah, and um, that was the first band that 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 when he when when Maceo was 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 in the band with him, and Greg Boyer on trombone who was was you know had been Parliament Funkadelics he had been George Clinton's you know straw boss of his horn for, section for many years so I had known Greg for a long time, so um, anyway. Um, Prince and I were, Prince ran into me in a club. I was playing a club with a Latin jazz band that I was playing with in, in town here. And he fell by the club one night. And it was the first time I'd seen him talk to Prince in like five or six years. And it was, it was after they had played gigs in the U.S. on, on, on that show. It was uh, John Blackwell on drums, Rhonda Smith on, on bass, and Hernando Neto on keyboards. Hernando I knew real well because I had played with him with Sheila years before. Um, so anyway, um, 
you know, most friends asking, well, what you been up to, whatever. And so we just, you know, chatted for, you know, for a little while. So a couple of weeks later, he called me and said, you know, I got a couple of one-off gigs in Canada that I got to do. And Maceo isn't available for these gigs. And Candy Dolfer had been playing with him then, too. Candy wasn't available. And I said, I need a horn player to come out and play, these, play, play a couple of gigs I got in Canada. And I said, are you free to come do them? And I said, yeah, yeah. You know, but, you know, I said, Prince, you know, I, I don't have a clue as to what you're doing musically. And he said, don't worry about it. Sweat, just come out and play. So I said, okay. So I, flew, I, I think the first gig was in Vancouver. So we, we did a little rehearsal the night before, and, and I, uh, Maceo faxed me some, some, some lines that he had been playing some of these songs. So I, I had to transpose them from alto key into tenor key. But, and, and, and so I wasn't familiar with any of this stuff. I had never heard, I, you know, I, I wasn't listening to Prince's music much, so I, I didn't, didn't know this stuff. So he just said, look, cop what you can from what Maceo gave you, but the rest of it, just make up as you go along. This is what we used to do all the time. I said, fine, cool. <laughs> so we did, and we had a lot of fun. So anyway, um, I ended up doing a few gigs with him later that year in um, Europe and then a few in Japan. So I was the sub. If Ma you know, so I was just coming in with Macy or Candy or whoever couldn't make it or whoever. But anyway, I ended up in, in Japan. This was uh, November 2002. And the horn section ended up being me, Maceo, and Greg Boyer. Now, I'd known Maceo since I was a kid, but I'd only, only had an opportunity to really play with Maceo once several years before when we were working together on a George Clinton album. So for me to play with Maceo is like coming home, hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, so Prince realizing what he had... With all due respect, I, I mean, once again, excuse me for sounding self-serving or arrogant, but you had the whole history of R&B horns. Right, right. <laughs> you had Greg Boyer, who was responsible for so much of all the classic horn lines with George Clinton. He had James, you know, you had the whole James Brown repertoire and Legacy and Maceo, and he had all the stuff that I had contributed to Prince back in the day. So what Prince did is on a lot of the songs that we were doing on, on that show were some of the were some open-ended stuff that he would just let roll. So what Greg and Maceo and I did is we had a list of about a couple dozen iconic horn lines from James Brown songs, from P-Funk songs, from Bootsy songs, from Sly Stone songs, from Prince songs, from Ohio Players, the, you know, the Cool and the Gang, and because we all knew those songs. We all just did a part of who, you know, part of our just vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'd get into these jams with Prince on, on some of these songs. And, and Greg, who was the straw boss of the section, I mean, he was really the section leader at that point. Because I'm, I'm just the sub. I'm just, I'm just there to, to hang out. And, he's, you know, we had them all numbered. So he would just straw up his arm. Or maybe I would sometimes when he'd say, oh, he's just like number four. And we said, okay, number four is that one. So all of a sudden, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd be jamming on the end of the song. We'd start playing the horn line from, from Get On to Goodfoot, you know. And, and Prince, of course, knew all of this stuff, too. So what he would do is he would fall in behind us. So he was letting us kind of drive the bus. Wow. And, those, that, that, you know, and, and that week of gigs in Japan was hands down was one of the most enjoyable <laughs> gigs I've ever Prince because he was just giving it to me and Maceo and Greg, and we were having wow. a ball. But, you know, but he, here's, here's the thing. We did the Tonight Show um, 
a few weeks after that. And then two nights later, we went to Las Vegas and recorded the show that, that became a DVD, uh, Prince Live at the Aladdin Theater, mm-hmm. um, which, which was a DVD. Um, but here, here's something. And once again, excuse me for sounding exceed, exceedingly conceited and, and self-serving, but there was a clip of, of, of what we did on The Tonight Show. We, we, I, I, I don't even remember the name of the song. It was from the Rainbow Children and, and had a pretty, pretty extensive horn arrangement. It was Greg and, me the and, and Sheila. Um, no, I'll tell you what it oh. was. It was called the... Um, Everlasting Now. Everla- yeah, I think, yeah, that's what it was. So um, that clip has ended up on, on YouTube, you know, and somebody threw it up on Facebook and, and, and ended up on, on, on my Facebook page. And, of course, there were a lot of comments about it. Cause I, and, and there was a comment for somebody that said, wow, that's the amazing Eric Leeds standing up there. Now, I, I don't usually answer, you know, stuff on Facebook like that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but I almost came so close as to just responding. I said, yeah. That's the amazing Eric Leeds standing right next to my fucking, you know, Maceo Parker. Don't you realize, you know, it's like, sweetheart, I really appreciate you referring to me as the amazing Eric Leeds. But sweetheart, the reason that Eric Leeds is amazing and, and, and even standing there is because of the guy standing next to him. You know? Tell it. So, excuse me, if I have a little bit different way of looking at this. Look, I appreciate it, but it's like, you know, like I said, when, when I, you know, when, when, when Macy and I told Prince, when we ran into each other, I laughed and I said, Prince, you finally got the only other cat you should ever have playing saxophone in your band other than me. <laughs> you know, and you know what I mean. So, I hear that. I hear that. Well, you know, man, it's like uh, for a lot of people, man, Prince fans, uh, we're not aware of the, you know, the history of of where Prince stuff comes from. I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate that. So when and, we and see I'm, you guys, look, and I'm, I told you know I used to tell Maceo, I said like you know Maceo is known pretty much nowadays as as, as an alto player, mm. but back in the day in the '60s when he was playing all the iconic solos on Cold Sweat, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, Get It Together, uh, um, 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 you know, Lick and Stick, Say It Loud, all of that stuff. He was playing tenor then. Mm. He was a tenor saxophone. He didn't start playing alto until like the, the, the early 70s. So I told Macy all, I said, I'm really glad you switched to alto. Because it gave me, gave me my <laughs> my opportunity to come in under you as a tenor man, you know. Because if you'd still been out there on tenor, I don't know what I would have done. So, you know. Anyway, man. But, uh, wow, that's 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 some stuff. That's just, again, that's that historical context. That's well, like knowing say, where I'm, it comes I'm, from, right? I'm so, I'm so blessed you know, to, to have had these opportunities to have those experiences. And I, and, and obviously, you know, I, I have to, I have to give it up to my brother because it For was sure. so much of, 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 of his aspirations in his career that as the little brother, I could tag along, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, now that's um, respect. I'll, that's I'll, respect. I'll, 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 I'll tell you a little story, which is one of the most significant things in my life. And, and it, it prepared me for understanding years and years later how to relate to somebody like Prince. 
okay. and, and the persona and, and how to be able to function in, in a situation like that. Because you really have to understand the different perspective that ultimately it ain't about me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about me. Um, one of the first times that I actually had the opportunity to hang with James Brown and the band, and, and, and this was in, in, in when we lived in Richmond, I was 14 years old, and um, Alan and I had gotten backstage at, 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 the, at the theater where James was playing that evening. It was April of 1966. And like I say, I was 14 years old. Alan was, was, was 19 years old and working at the radio station. He already knew, he'd already known James for a few years. And Alan, the, the promoter of the show, was the, music, was the program director at the radio station that Alan worked. So Alan could always, you know, get in backstage by saying that he was one, you know, work for the promoter. Um, so anyway, we got to the theater. We're backstage. This is like an hour before, you know, they, they hadn't opened doors yet. And, and the James Brown band, who it, 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 you know, it, it was one of the most iconic ensembles of musicians in the history of music. And for me growing up, it was like, oh, my God. So I'm backstage standing on the wings of the stage and the James Brown band is on stage, and James is playing organ, and they're just rehearsing, just running through some songs, and James is playing organ. And I'm standing by, by myself, and I'm the skin, you know, this skinny, scrawny little white kid just standing there. <laughs> Alan had gone up front to the box office to, you know, to, to commiserate with the promoter, and, you know, he was, he, was, he was Mr. Big Shot. He wanted to be able to come back and tell James, oh, sold out to not Mr. Brown, you know. <laughs> so, so I'm by myself standing back on, by the stage. And a fellow who was one of the crew members, one of the stage guys and one of the, you know, just one of the crew members for James is walking backstage and he sees me standing there and he doesn't know who I am. He says, what, who, 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 who let this little kid in? What's he doing back here? You know? So this guy says to me, he said, son, you know, kind of rather author, you know, I'm 14 years old. So, you know, any guys that are older than 20 is like, you know, an authoritarian figure to me. So this, this guy comes up to me and he says, uh, son, I don't know how you got back here, but this is the backstage area. You're not allowed back here. You'll have to vacate the premises. Mm. And I'm saying, oh, shit, he's going to throw me out on the street. And Alan's up front, you know, what the hell? Well, James, Mr. Brown, he sees this. And he stops his band. And he says to the crew guy, he said, oh, no, man, I, I forget. The, I, I think that, you know, I think the, the crew, I forget what the crew guy's name, say for the sake of the argument story, the guy's Frank. And he said, no, Frank, that's okay. That's okay. The young, young man's okay. And he says to me, Rick, Rick, step closer. Come on, step closer. Get closer to the band so you can feel the band. Mm. And I'm saying, oh, my God, not only did James Brown just save my ass from being thrown out of the backstage area, but he's telling me to come closer. Mm. So I'm like pinching myself. Is this a dream or what? So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm Mr. Big Shot. So then James, Mr. Brown, looks at the guy and he says, young man's with the DJ. Wasn't about me. It was about Alan. Mm. Because Alan's the DJ. And see, even though Alan is only 19 years old, Alan is a DJ. The DJ is why we're here. Mm. Because the DJ is playing my records. And that's why we're here. And this young man is the DJ's little brother. So, excuse me, we ain't gonna fuck with the brother's little brother. <laughs> you know? Say, so he's good. <laughs> yeah. So now, I, you, know, you know, fortunately, I was at least, even at 14 years old, I figured it out. I said, I get it. 
I understand what this is about. This isn't about me. Mm. I'm just lucky to be here. Now, of course, I was ready to look at the guy and say, yeah, I'm with the DJ. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, but this, this is James Brown saying this. So, excuse me, by the time I met Prince, it was like, okay, so? It's just, you know, yeah, this is, this, is, this, is a, this is a remarkable musician. I'm happy to be here, but so? Right. <laughs> you know, it ain't all that. Now, it was, yeah, it right. was, but at least, you know, it was that ability that gave me the perspective, and I think that maybe when, when, when you know, had, had something to do with the relationship that I was able to have with Prince, you know, in the nature of that relationship. Um, I was, the, you know, I, I was the old guy that came in. <laughs> hmm. so, you know, you I think know. It, it almost kind of sounds like, too, like you were one of the... I don't know how I say, one of their original musicians to come in who was already, as you said earlier, already like, I've accomplished, you know, I've had a career. Um, my skills are set. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm going to learn yeah, more. Yeah, about, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and then when and, you and comes that, you know, in, she That, that happened as, as he went down the line because, I mean, by the time, you know, by the time in the late 90s, and, and he's bringing in musicians like Hanato Neto or Rhonda Smith mm -hmm. or, or, you know, Maceo and guys like that, these are guys that, that certainly were aware of Prince's music but weren't necessarily, you know, musicians that were like diehard fans. You know, so yeah. they're looking at the opportunity. They understand and appreciate how remarkable a musician that Prince is, and and realize. Well, for example, um, um, a really really good friend of mine, uh, um, a keyboard player. Her name her name is Roseanne Demolanta, and and she goes under the name Rad. Yeah, and oh, yeah. I, I've, oh, yeah, and and she was a member of Prince's band. Um, you know, on the on the Musicology tour. Um, and she was with Prince, oh, maybe nine months to a year. And I had known Rad for years before that because we worked together with Sheila. And I played in Rad's band after that in Europe. And Rad is just, you know, Rad's is an absolutely fabulous keyboard player, good singer. I mean, just tremendous. And I, I love her dearly. She's, she's one of my closest musical buddies. And when she got the opportunity to play with Prince, um, she asked me, she said, you know, I got this opportunity, but, you know, I, you know, the prince's reputation is also out there, too, that, uh, you know, prince, love, God love him, but he's a crazy man. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I mean, is, is this something I really want to do? And I said, oh, absolutely. I said, you know, and I laughed and I said, yeah, if I tell you not to do it as if you're not going to do it anyway. I said, look, um, you are who you are. You are defined, you know. And it's not like you're a diehard Prince fan, but you're aware enough of, of, of what you can get out of this. Not only from just your reputation and your resume, it's good to have that on your resume, but from a musical standpoint, yeah, you'll get things from that that you, that, that you won't even, um, couldn't even guess that you might get from it. Hmm. I just told her, I said, the only thing is, is that Prince is still the kind of guy that wants to bring you into his you know, inner circle, and he likes to throw his arms around you in, in a way that, that, you know, it's up to you to handle that, and we all would want to handle that in our own way. He hmm. said, I suspect that there's going to be a time when you'll get everything that you've gotten out of this, and you'll be ready to move on. He said, just, just be sure you're in the situation that when you leave, leave on your own terms. Mm. And it said that could be two weeks into it, it could be two months, it could be two years, but there's going to be a time when you're going to wake up one day and say, you know something, I'm done with this. I loved it, I had big fun, wonderful opportunity, now I'm getting the hell out of here. And, wow. and, and she did, 
and and but you know but that was kind of the way I looked at it because I, I everything that I was able to get out of it and that I thought I was going to be able to get out of it that was really a benefit for me and and the enjoyment of the experiences I did within the you know three three and a half year period that I was in his band. Um, so when the Love Sexy tour was over and that band broke up, which we knew it was going to because we were all under uh, exclusive employment agreements at that time, and we knew that at the end of that tour our, our, our contracts were going to expire, and we knew that Prince was not planning to go back out on the road for a while after that. So there was no reason for him to you know, continue having a band on, on payroll any longer. Now, mm-hmm. fortunately, I was in the position that as soon as that happened, I got to work on what was going to be the third Madhouse album that instead became my first album, and that's when he signed me to Paisley Park Records, so that you know continued my relationship with him at least from that perspective. But after that point, there really wasn't any particular reason for me to to you know continue being a part of his band. Uh, I, I pretty much was done with it. I loved it. It got a lot out of it, and and you know and and just so so fortunate to have had that that experience at that particular time. But at that point, it was like, hey, this was great, and 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 now he's given me the opportunity to do my own stuff. Cool. I'm I'm in the perfect place. So. Which want to jump into? Well, it, here I want to do this. I'm going to jump around, and hopefully, we can keep mm-hmm. the conversation honest and 100 as much as you you want to. We're going to come back and talk about Madhouse here in a second. But mm-hmm. why? If you can talk about it, and I don't know if it has to do because I know you got your notes uh, and you got everything documented, which I totally understand and respect that. But, mm-hmm. but is there a reason why you stopped working with Prince? Did you leave on your own terms or did you leave on some other terms? Or um, No, at it, 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 first, like I say, um, when, that, when, when the Love Sexy band broke up, um, I was basically... Um, just ready to move on with, with, you know, whatever was going to be next in my life. We had already recorded a third Madhouse album mm-hmm. um, that, I, that was ostensibly going to be released some, sometime in, in 1989. But a few months had gone by, and, and by now, Alan, um, you know, Alan had been the tour manager for all those years, but then after the Love Sexy tour, when Paisley Park Records actually came into existence as, as a as an entity in, in, of, of itself. Um, Alan was, was uh, Princeton named Alan to be head of Hazek Park Records. So Alan was basically running the record company by then. So we had already had this third Madhouse album in the can ready to go, and a few months had gone by, and I didn't hear anything more about it. And I asked Alan, I said, well, what, what's, what's, up with, what, what's up with the third Madhouse album? And Alan said, you know, I haven't heard Prince say anything about it. And I told Alan, I said, well, that means, that, that suggests that maybe Prince has lost interest in that. Um, and I said, you know, ask Prince for me, you know, what, what's up with that? And he did, and Alan called me back and he said, um, Prince wanted to know what I thought of it, of the album. Did I like the album? That's different, because Prince had never, you know, Prince isn't somebody necessarily is going to come to any of us and ask us specifically what we think about something. <laughs> um, Prince, you know, there, there was an understanding, a professional understanding that, Prince understood that, you know, for example, someone like me, I wasn't there necessarily because I was in love with his music. And that mm-hmm. wasn't the point. You know, and, and Prince stated this once. That there, there was once, there was once a, a, a conversation that, that happened between Prince and a member of his band during a rehearsal once. And I'm not going to say who this person was. And I'm going to keep it gender neutral. <laughs> this wasn't a physical conversation, was it? 
This was an actual conversation oh, okay. that this person in Prince's band was having a bad day. Mm. And we all have bad days. And Prince was on a tangent working on some piece of music in the rehearsal. And this person had somewhat of a confused look on his or her face. <laughs> and Prince turned around and looked at this person and said, will you stop looking at me like that? I'm trying to make some music here. How am I going to do that when you got that stupid look on your face? Uh-oh. And this person said, well, I don't even know why we're working on this song. I don't even like this song. Uh-oh. Yeah. Now, I have my opinions about Prince's music, and there were times when I would, Prince and I could have conversations about certain things. But it would never have occurred to me in a rehearsal to suggest that we shouldn't be working on a piece of Prince's music because I don't like it. And I was like ready to duck under the table because I thought there might be gunplay. <laughs> you know, like that? You know, I mean, I was ready for Prince to go off on this person. I was pissed. Damn. Because I was sitting back and thinking, if I were a band leader and somebody in my band said that to me, that would be the last thing that that person would say mm. as a member of my band. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just throwing it out there. This person is one of the most wonderful musicians that ever played with, with Prince. This person, I'm sure that this is something that two days later Prince completely forgot about. You know, it, it's just, we all had bad days, you know? And we, this, was, mm. this, this could be a very, you know, uh, a, a very... Uh, labor-intensive gig to work with Prince, particularly when you're rehearsal situations. So I'm casting those because, look, it wasn't like any of us didn't necessarily feel that way on any given day. But it was just the fact that this, this person actually said, said it. it right? you know? And Prince just looked at this person, and I give Prince a little credit for not completely just exploding. But he looked at this person and said, and I want to. Say, I think that he said mm, before he said it. I'm not sure he did, but it makes a better story anyway if he did. <laughs> he said to this person, "I don't pay you to like my music. I pay you to play it." Mm. It is. There you go. Yeah. This is a business. Now you know. If, if, you know when when Prince when Prince asked me or not asked when when you know when he basically said. Eric, I need you and Bliston in the studio tonight. I got some stuff for you. You know, I need you. You know, it wasn't like when I showed up. It wasn't like Prince played the track for me and said, "Do you like it? Would you like to play on it?" You know, it was like that. That wasn't part of the equation. It was like, "Here's the track. Got your horn. Let's roll." Now, at the at the end of the day, it might be a song I like, but if it wasn't, who cares? He's not making his music for me. Mm. You know, I enjoyed being part of the process. That's really what I got off on. Okay. <clears throat> and that's really what, what, what I feel so fortunate about, because this was a remarkable musician who on his best days was a brilliant musician. I wasn't there because I was supposed to just be fawning over him. I, I had a job to do. I was there to give him any and everything that he needed or wanted from me in service of his music. Mm. And as long as that was an interesting and fulfilling thing for me, because it could be fun for me to work with him on music, that maybe at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not going to go home and listen to this. This ain't my kind of song. But being a part of his process, mm-hmm. that's what was fun for me. You know, 
Now, you. after a while, when you finally figure out, okay, I get it, I, that, that any artist after a period of time starts to become defined. And I think that Prince started to become defined as the musician he was probably by the Love Sexy album, which mm-hmm. didn't mean that he wasn't capable and didn't, after that, still make tremendous music. Mm-hmm. But after a period of time, you just say, oh, man, this is the new Prince song. It's great. I love it. You know why I love it? Because it reminds me a little bit of that song that Prince did years ago. Rather than in the early days of an artist like that, when you hear somebody like Prince and say, wow, I've never heard anything quite like this before. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. You know? okay. um, and any artist goes, goes through that, that arc. Um, and you know, to Prince's credit, the arc of, of, of his you know, defining years was pretty long. A lot of musicians define themselves after their first album. Mm-hmm. You know? Prince took a while. I mean, he really had that much in him, different ways of looking at things. But for me, after I kind of realized, I said, okay, the, the experience of working with Prince and the process is now somewhat, you know, beginning somewhat repetitive, and that basically he's going to get out, all he's going to get from me now is just kind of a repetition of that which I've given him before. So then it starts to, you know, then it's time for me to say, you know, I've really, really enjoyed this. But you don't want to hang around just because it's a paycheck. At least I didn't. And on the other hand, I don't think Prince really was interested in having somebody around him that wasn't there for the right reasons. So that had a lot to do with, with, with the nature of our relationship as it went for us. It's a long-winded thing, you know, ask a question about how I left him. Um, when he signed me to, the, to, to his, his record company, I was now an artist on myself. That's kind of how I chose to relate to him from then on, that I was no longer really that interested in just being a member of his band because now he had given me the opportunity to be an artist on my own mm. you know, sake. Now, I'm not a pop songwriter, I'm not an entertainer, I'm not a singer, I'm not a dancer. There is nothing that I could possibly come up with musically that is going to have kind of the, you know, the market for the kind of music that he plays. But, with all due respect, Prince can't do what I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't do what he does. Now, I never aspired to do what he does, and I don't get that he ever aspired to necessarily do what I did. But I am who I am. And my ability to do that which is meaningful for me in music, I can do. Mm. You know. Now it's up to the listener to decide what has any value. Right. You know, it's not for me to dictate to somebody that just because this is what I know I can do and, and, and what I perceive and what the value is for myself of what I do, once it's out there, it's in your hands. You you, you know, you have the right to tell me I don't like it. <laughs> and this is why I don't like it. Cool. You know. Thank you very much. I'm moving on. I need to find some people that like it. <laughs> you know? But basically, that's, that's, that's kind of the relationship that, that you know, I, I, I had with Prince, and I think it's kind of the relationship they had with me. Otherwise, I don't think he would have come to me when it was time to do my second album, and he basically asked me, and I, and I had to have a meeting with him as to whether he was going to actually pick up the option on my contract to enable me to do a second album. And he said, what, what, what do you, what, you know, what do you got in store? What, what do you want to do? And I said, well, Prince, I got a working band I've done some gigs with, and I'm probably going to start there and see if that's when I want to go in the studio with some of the guys that I've been working with. But I also want to sit down with the A&R department at Warner Brothers, the jazz A&R director, and see what they can bring to the table. Um, and he said that, you know, and he said, cool. 
And I said, are we, are we good? And he said, yeah. And I said, you know, I said, Prince, you know, I got a stack of music I can play, but I can't give you a definitive answer what this album is going to sound like. And he said, I know. I said, that's okay. And he said, yeah, go make an album. Go do it. Hmm. And I was walking out of his office, and he, and he stopped and he said, you know why? And he, he, paid me, he paid me the biggest compliment that anybody in the world could have ever paid me. This is not only, you know, he was still my boss to the ex- extent that he was the president. You know, he, it was his record company I was, you know, recording for. Mm-hmm. It was his determination of whether he was going to give me the budget to, and the money to go and be able to do what I wanted to do. And he said to me, he says, I don't have a clue as to what you're going to do. I know that you're going to bring me an album I'm going to love. Wow. And when somebody like that says that to you, then it's like, okay. Hmm. So I went to the Allen's office real quick, and I said, (laughs) quick, before he changes his mind, let's let's get to L.A. and start talking with Walker (laughs) Brothers before we get this shit on the road. You know. Interesting. You know, know, so, so... and 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 that that was my that was my second album. The one was called Things Left Unsaid, and that mm-hmm. that was you know that was that was the one that was my favorite. Um, really, okay. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody else, but that you know that one <laughs> that was you know. Um, but that was that was Prince giving me the opportunity, and the confidence, um, you know that I, that that I was going to be able to do something that that would be cool. So you know, I will I will forever look. I'll be honest with you. I could sit and I could, I could say an awful lot of things about Prince that aren't very complimentary. Um, there are a lot of conversations that I've had with Prince that um, weren't cool. And things that he said to me in, in different conversations that um, were not called for and were unacceptable. He's had conversation, and there isn't a person that I know that's ever worked for him that can't say the same thing. But anything that he could say to me that I could take umbrage at is really Tweedledum Tweedledee. Hmm. Because at the end of the day, what he said to me doesn't mean dick. Excuse me. What he did for me does. This is a cat who gave me, when I joined his band, he not only gave me the opportunity in his band to be the primary instrumental soloist on his shows, on his tours. I mean, during those, those years of the hit and run, the sign of the times, love sexy, if there wasn't a guitar solo on a song, there was a saxophone solo. Mm. So he's given me that opportunity to create that role in his music. Then he creates this project, Madhouse, mm-hmm. that basically was to feature me. And then after that, he just said, screw that. I'm just going to sign you here. And he gave, me, he, you know, he gave me a rock and roll budget to make instrumental music. Mm. You know, any other record company in the world would have given me one-tenth of the budget that he gave me to make the music that I made. So it's what he did for me. So, the, you know, and, and I'll, I'll tell you something else. The most important legacy after all of the years for Prince for me is the people that I know because of him. Mm-hmm. My relationship and the friendship that I have with Paul Peterson and Susanna particularly, but Wendy and Lisa and Sheila... And, and many of the other musicians, but particularly Paul and Susanna, because that's, you know, those are the guys that I'm working most closely with after Lux and stuff and, and the other things that I would do with Paul. Um, these are people that I, that I know and love and, and, and have, have these wonderful experiences with because of my association with Prince. The, all of those people and so many of the other people that work for Prince that, that are dear friends of mine that, you know, worked in the office, mm-hmm. guys, you know, that were on the crew, um, all of these wonderful people that, that you get to know 
and have relationships with um, because, of the, uh, because of, of the circumstance and the environment that he created. Um, that's the most important lasting legacy for me of, of, of you know, of my years with Prince. Right. That, to the, to, that the most, you know, he, all of us that played with Prince and had anything to do with, and it could, you, you know, if you look at the sum total of all the musicians that played in Prince, it might be 50 or 60 people. I, you know, I never took a count, but it could be 50 people all, that played in his bands over the years. You could take all of us and put us in a room. And then someone could snap their fingers and say, for example, we all disappeared off of the face of the earth. Well, Prince is still going to be standing there needing 50 musicians over the, his career to play his music with. He would have had another group of 50 musicians that would have been equally capable to have given him on any given day exactly what he needed to play his music. Mm-hmm. Because it still was about him and his music. Whatever I could have contributed that you or anybody else really thought was cool, I am forever grateful. But if I hadn't been there, Prince would have had something else or somebody else that might have given something different than what I did, but equally cool in the context of his music. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, you know, we can all pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, well, I'm the one that brought him this, or I'm the one that did this, or I was in the revolution, or I was in the NPG, or was, you know, okay. if you ask Prince what his favorite band was of all of the bands that he had, I can tell you exactly what, what band he would say was his favorite. Which one? Was gonna be the, it was the band he was playing with today. <laughs> Throw that girl. Yeah. Or whatever you know, it was. I mean, yeah. yeah, because his whole thing was, I'm an artist, I'm looking forward. Yeah, the Revolution was a great band. They gave me everything I needed at that point in my life. But now I'm moving on. Eric gave me everything that was cool when he was there. Now I'm moving on. I got Maceo. I got the Hornheads. They're going to give me something different, equally cool. And I can always call Eric back if he's available and feels like doing a gig with me or doing a recording session, which mm-hmm. I did for many, many years. So we always had that, that relationship. But um, basically, we, we went our separate ways in 2003. Um, in the fall of 2003, I was still doing a couple things for him, just here and there. Um, and then he was gearing up to go on, I guess, I guess it was the musicology tour. And he, and he asked me to go out on the road with him and, and rejoin his band full time. And, and, and I turned him down. I told him, no, Prince, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in, in, in doing that. I said, if you have a given gig or a given situation now and then that you want me to come out and do a gig or hit and run or a recording session, I'm cool with that. I said, I'm, I'm just not, at this point in my life, there are too many other things that I'm involved with that I'd rather do musically than, than commit to you for that period of time because you need somebody that's willing to really commit heart and soul, and you mm-hmm. deserve that. That's what you need. That's what you expect, and that's what you should have. And I'm not that guy right now. Hmm. You know, it's, it's just not, not where I'm at. And to be personally honest, he wasn't too thrilled with that answer, not just because it was me, but Prince was like a lot of rock stars and like a person that happens to be, unfortunately, be our president right now. He's a guy that doesn't like go. to be told no. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so it was like Prince said, well, okay, I guess I'm done. <laughs> That's a Prince, you know. All the luck. I wish you the best, best of luck. And I saw Prince between that. That was, I think, uh, I think it was fall of 2003. Between that time and and when he passed away last year, I saw Prince once for all of like two or three minutes. 
Hmm. And we were very cordial. It was like, you know, actually Paul and I were doing an LP music gig out at Paisley Park one night. And, oh, okay. and Prince came by the sound check and came up behind me, threw his arms around me, gave me a hug, said, how you doing? I said, good, man. How you been? Everything. And, uh, you know, two or three minutes later, he was gone. And that was that was the last time I, I saw him. And, and the only time wow. that I'd seen him in the last 12, 13 years. So, you know. Wow. Man. Yeah. So, you know, so so the way I look at it, yeah, I I, I left on my own terms, you know. And and I have no, uh, you know, like I say, the, the 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 significance of what my association with him meant for me is is it's a matter of records. So, so mm-hmm. I mean, you know, well, I, I was fortunate. I was lucky to be there. It, it was almost like uh, you know that whole Prince. It was like a college, and y'all was y'all graduated, y'all alumni, and everybody sort of created re- uh, relationships through that like you met everybody you know what i'm saying everybody met each other through oh, yeah. that, you know what yeah. i'm saying and and you all yeah. went on to do your things but you i mean yeah. I, I i respect what you say you know i would just say you know yeah he could have went and got somebody else but you know the reality facts is he got you and you're well, part no, no, that, of that, that, you know yeah, what i'm saying yeah, yeah, so i understand you're being humble i get it man like but you are a well, part I, of it man like it's you're part of the things well, like you know it, it, it's it's funny it's funny because i you know it's it's People come up to me, you know, the diehard fans, and, and they tell me things or recollections about, you know, their favorite gigs. Or their, and, 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 you know, a lot of they'll, they'll say, well, I remember when I saw, saw you guys in, in, in Detroit on such and such a night. And I'm mm-hmm. saying, well, that's cool. I don't have a clue to what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, I, I have no recollection. You, know, you know, it was just another gig. Now, I understand that because that's how I was with James Brown and right, Maceo and all right. those guys. Mm-hmm. I once got into an argument with Maceo. <laughs> See, Maceo had Maceo had come into James Brown's band. Alan, by the way, is is you know Alan is is known as as the as as the archivist yes. of, of the history of James Brown. Yeah, I mean, any you know, and and he basically makes a living off of doing that at times. I mean, you know, I mean, he's he's got a book ready to come out. Mm-hmm. But anything that anybody needs to know about James Brown's entire career, they go to Alan for the answers about that. So a lot of the stuff that I know, I just know because of Alan. But, for example, Maceo began working in James Brown's band in, in the spring of 1964. He's with James Brown for a little over a year. Because in, in the late summer 1965, Maceo went into the service. And he, was in the, in, and he played in an army band or something for a few years. He got early release from, from the service in spring of 1967 and immediately went back to work with James. The very first recording session that he did with James after coming back out of the Army was a recording session for Cold Sweat, which, of course, was one of the most significant songs in the history of American pop music. It was, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. It, 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 mm-hmm. You know, without Cold Sweat, there's no hip-hop. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, there's mm-hmm. no P-Funk. There's, I mean, that was, you know. So, anyway, Macy and I were just kicking it one day, and we were talking about and and i was asking him about his experiences in the service and the army band that he played in and everything and he just mentioned he said yeah when i got out of the service in 1968 and i stopped him i said no mace you got out in 67 <laughs> and he looked at me and said no man i got on 68 i said maceo said you got on in 67 because your first recording session was cold sweat and cold sweat was re- released in june of 1967 and Mace started getting mad. I said, Eric, how are you going to tell me about me? <laughs> and I said, Mace, I'm sorry. You got out of the Army in May of 1967. 
And finally, he sat there for a minute, and he said, you know something? I think you're right. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> now, you got to understand, Maceo with James Brown would be on the road like 300 nights a year, year right. after year after year. They all blur. Right, right. You know, it's just like, I don't know. I don't know what year I did that, but I do because I was a diehard fan. Mm -hmm. I lived and breathed on that shit, just like all the Prince fans. So I understand the perspective. Right, okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but that's man. what's funny to be because I, you know, I said, yeah, I get it because you know, like I say, but y'all got to understand, this is what that music meant for me. Mm -hmm. That's what enabled me to do for Prince what I could do. And that's why I was when, when earlier on when you you mentioned that Ray Charles was you know like like a Prince to you, and I remember that because I was like cool because this is how we kind of see you as associate of what that is to us, and so that's mm -hmm. why that's the whole point to be here is like yo man. We never, well, I'm not going to say we never, but to hear you talk about it and to really get some of the answers and unlock some of the mysteries, it means a lot to us. You know, unfortunately, Prince isn't here anymore. So now we have to go to you know, people such as yourself, Andre, Jill, whoever, to really kind yeah, of Yeah, we can just game. make the shit up. So, Hey, I had to go by your words, but, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> no, it re you know, it re yeah, I, I'm just sitting back and said, yeah, I wonder what Prince would really say about any of us. <laughs> well, that's yeah, a whole other story, right? Eric, oh, now give me a break. I'd, I'd indulge him. He wasn't all that. <laughs> you know, yeah, I remember the, yeah, I remember the Eric, the days where Eric would, you know, be just being a, a, a royal pain in my ass or whatever. Oh, shit. You know, so, I don't know. Hey, keep it real. Yeah, so, so, so but, kind I mean, of, you hey. know, I'm kind of glad that maybe Prince never was able to finish his memoir. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, you yeah, know, too. It, it definitely could be a two-way street. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Prince was a man. He was a human being. So, I mean, when yeah. you when you yeah. say that he was going at people, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, we all go at each other. And, you know, he ain't no angel, No, but nobody is. So. No. Nope, not, <laughs> hardly. Not, not hardly. Yeah. So, I, I get yeah. that. Um, yeah. Wow, man. I want to double back. Hopefully, we got a little time to speak on this. Yeah, We'd sure. be remiss not to go into this, uh, but Madhouse to really go into mm -hmm. it. Uh, my first of all, my understanding is that you didn't really, you didn't really care for that first Madhouse album? Is that true? Um, no, I didn't. And, and, oh. and I, 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 I try to qualify that because I, 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 I do understand that people you know, they're really into that music. And I'm hardly trying to suggest that whatever the value that anyone hears in that music should be dismissed just because it didn't work for me. Because at the end of the day, my opinion, even of stuff that I might be involved in, is like, you know, every, everyone's, everyone's got an opinion, like we all got an asshole. <laughs> and that's all it is. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not casting any aspersions on, on the legitimacy or the value of the music, particularly, you know, since I was a part of it. Um, I, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a story to kind of, kind of give you a perspective on that. Growing up, you know, when I was listening to like, you know, Wayne Shorter and cast like that, I've got pretty much any, anything that Wayne Shorter ever recorded in his entire career. And he recorded a series of albums under his own name uh, on Blue Note Records during the 60s that for those of us growing up in the jazz world, you know, they're all just iconic albums because he was just such a great composer, player, and they were just cutting-edge albums. And me and my buddies, you know, growing up, we just listened to those albums all the time. 
And then years later, I, I saw, I forget if, I forget if I saw, read the interview, but somebody told me that they had, had read an interview with Wayne in which the interviewer had asked Wayne about one of these Blue Note albums that he'd done about maybe 10 years before this interview. And, and the interviewer was saying, yeah, it was such an iconic album, whatever. I forget what album it was. And Wayne looked at the guy and says, oh, man, that was music to vacuum rugs by. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. You know, like I'm sitting here and I said, oh, my God, I, I love this album. Or, you know, this is like one of my favorite albums. And he's like dissing it. And then I said, okay, well, wait a minute. That was 10 years ago. So why on earth would Wayne, you know, Wayne's in a different place now. He's got 10 years more different stories that he wants to tell. Mm -hmm. So it's not that he's like just saying, oh, no, it's a bunch of crap. It's just basically his way of saying, you know, I'm in a different place now. Mm -hmm. And, and what, was, what was pertinent to me or what I was involved in this, and that's so it's cool then, my attitude towards man is a little bit like that. Now, you have to understand also that my role... Here's the thing where I basically have to put it out. You know, people, they want to refer to me sometimes as Mr. Madhouse. Eric, that's Mr. Madhouse. No. <laughs> right. Prince was Mr. Madhouse. Mm. Madhouse was Prince's project. Now, for I know all of the stories that went out about, you know, all the fake names that we came up with for the people that played on the first Madhouse album and all that stuff. That was Prince's joke. <laughs> and it got, got, got a little carried away with it, but, you know... The first Madhouse album, it was all him, except for my, obviously, my horns and the flute. Mm -hmm. And what happened was we had come off the hit and run tour, and Prince called me one day, and he said to me, he said, would you like to come over to my house and play some jazz? <laughs> and I'm saying, what? <laughs> you know, it was like, that, that, that wasn't a comment that I would have necessarily expected. You know, would you like to come over and play some jazz? <laughs> and it was like, like it was. I, I want to think it was a Sunday afternoon. I don't know. It was just like, well, oh, well, okay. Now I hadn't been there long enough that I was going to say, oh no, man, I'm sorry, I, I don't feel like it today. I was, you know, I was still like, okay, Prince's, you know, I didn't, I didn't interpret it as a request. You know, it's like Prince needs me to come over because he's got some music he needs me to play. So I got in the car and went over to his house. And this, this was before Paisley was built. So we were still working in, in, in the basement of his house where, where, where he had the studio at that time. Mm -hmm. And we sat at the piano in his living room and he started playing me these songs on piano. And, and he said, he got some music paper? I said, yeah. I said, okay, let's sit. We got to figure out some melodies. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> so he starts dictating and, and playing on piano melodies. I'm, I'm, I'm writing them down. So we went through, I think, three or four songs. And I'm thinking that, okay, we're going to go downstairs, I guess, and we're going to start to record some stuff. Well, we went downstairs, and they already had four tracks done. They were all, these four, they were already done. So he says, okay, let's go. Get your horn. So he's sitting in the control booth. It's him, Susan Rogers, and, and myself. So all of a sudden, I'm playing the melodies and playing solos. Okay, I need you, you know, you got to play solo. Here's a melody. Here's a little arrangement. Let's come up with a few parts here. And at the end of the day, we got four songs done. Well, the next day I came in, we did a few more. Um, I'll tell you what, there was one story. Um, we had been working until about three in the morning. And finally, we were done with whatever we, 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 we had finished. And I got in the car and I drove home. 
I got home, and my, my, my apartment at the time was maybe about a 15-minute drive from his house. So I get home, it's maybe about 4 in the morning now. I'm in bed, I'm just literally just got my hand on the light switch, ready to turn it off, and the phone rings. And I said, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was Susan. And she said, Prince, Prince needs you to come back. And I said, Susan, I'm in bed. I'm turning off the light. Please tell him I'll come back tomorrow afternoon. Hung up the phone. Two minutes, 30 seconds later, phone rings again. I pick it up, and it's Prince. And he's laughing. He said, come on, man. I, 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 got, I got another track. Come on. Come on back. Please, 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 please. Come on back. Come on. So I said, okay. I mean, you know, I knew, I knew, you know, because in another minute, me telling him no, it was going to be like, Eric, get your ass over here now. You know, I've seen that movie before. So, so I said, all right. So I got out of bed, threw some clothes on, was back in this, back in this house. In the hour and hour and a half that between the time that I had left gotten in my bed, had to get back up and get back. He had the track for six done. Damn. The whole track wow. done. The beast. Yeah. Now, I never liked what I played on that track because, first of all, I was pissed off. I didn't want to be there. I was tired. <laughs> and all I wanted to do was get that over as soon as I could so I could get back in my car go and go back to sleep. So... You know, now, if everybody loves what I play on that, fine. I'm glad because, I, you know, I want you to like it. I didn't because... You was mad when you did it, huh? I heard and I was pissed. And that song you know, goes on to be kind of a hit, right? I mean... It did. It was a top yeah. 10 R&B hit. Yeah. I got paid. I got paid. I got paid well for it. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you love it. You know. I know you cashed him checks. But, but here's, here's, here's the thing. Um... Once again, I had a ball working with him on that album because it's just, it's just Prince and me sitting kicking it in the studio. But here's the difference. At no point in time was Prince coming to me and saying, hey, Eric, I got this idea of doing an instrumental project that's going to feature you. Mm. What do you want to do with it? See, that question wasn't asked. Now, I'm not suggesting it was supposed to mm -hmm. because Madhouse was no different from anything else that he would do. And my role and my job was to do any and everything he needed me to do for that music, which was no different than if it was a song like Housequake mm -hmm. or any other song that he would bring me in to put a horn arrangement or put a solo. If it was a Prince song, it was a Prince song. The difference, of course, is that this is, is a project that is going to be marketed as mine, when in actuality it really wasn't. Mm. Now, I understood that, and I'm fine with that, because basically, this is what my job is. Mm. And certainly, it was to my benefit, and I was extremely complimented, because look, he didn't go to anyone else in the band and say, hey, I'm going to do a project that features you. It came to right, me. Right, right. So, first of all, I'm saying, cool. So now, I'm, I, once again, the process was fun, because we did that whole album in two and a half days. <laughs> Damn. You know, I mean, it was a bam, just hit it out, and done. Um, I really, really did like the title song Eight, the, the last song of the album. Yes. That I really liked, um, and it was, and and just. But you, but you have to understand too that that all of us were involved in making music, regardless if it's our own music or music mm. that we're playing for somebody else. We all have our limited perspective. I guarantee you that any song that any of us are princes that we might have played on, 
I'd say the same thing about me. I'd say the same thing about Wendy or any, you know, because Wendy and Lisa had a lot to do with quite a bit of the music that was done at that period of time, and you know, around the world and the parade albums and mm-hmm. that stuff. But if Prince is playing us the final mix on that stuff, we're all listening first and foremost to what we're doing mm. on it. You know, if there's a Prince song that got a horn solo, eh, screw, the, screw the song. How's my solo? <laughs> you know, is my solo cool? That's like, you know, so it's like, I don't care if the song's okay. Is the, is the solo cool? Fine. I'm good with that. You know, you know, I mean, we're all, you know, we're all, we're all egotists. You know, right. that's who we are, what we do. Now, um, so I'm listening to all of this. So I'm listening to that, you know, so I come out of the studio with the Madhouse album and, and I'm on cloud nine. You know, I said, wow. And, and first of all, we had done stuff, you know, we had done all those flesh sessions. So I'm standing there, well, will this stuff really even be released? Mm. Well, sure enough. He came back to me the day after and said, Warner Brothers is cool with it. They heard the album they want to release. I said, okay, it's done deal. Wow. So all of a sudden I got a contract now, which has given me a piece of it too. So I'm said, oh, well, this is found money, you know. <laughs> Because two days ago, I, you know, I'm on salary and I'm getting paid for all the, but now I'm getting paid as an artist for this stuff. So, yeah, hmm. I like all of this. Plus the obvious fact that it's going to get my, I'm, I'm now going to, I'm going to have a notoriety and a visibility mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have had even just like being a sideman in his band. So why wouldn't I love this? Absolutely. The only problem was is that after a period of time of listening to the music, I just came to a conclusion that for me, it just wasn't necessarily music that I was that thrilled with. Hmm. And that's just a personal opinion. Okay. You know, just because, because after a while, after, after the initial excitement about this project and all it could mean for me, and the fact that, you know, I'm the one sitting in the studio with this guy. There are thousands of musicians that would give their ITs to be where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm the guy that he's coming to wanting to do this with. So how am I going to sit back and just say, well, you know, Prince, I'm not really crazy about this. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, you got more? Sure, let's go. <laughs> right. You know? So, but once after a period of time, you got to understand that even the musicians that we are, we can become a little bit detached from even what we do. There isn't anything that I've ever done on my own that I can't look at and say, yeah, that was cool, but you know, if I were doing that today, maybe I'd do that a little different. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd do it a little better than whatever. You, you, you look at, at things from a perspective. So I'm looking at that and I'm saying, it was all Prince's music, and that's fine, because I didn't expect it, you know, necessarily anything else. But I said, you know, I, I just kind of looked at it as every other Prince project some of the stuff I'm going to like and some of it I'm not. At the right. end of the day, it really doesn't matter what I think about any of that. It's what the people think. So, mm-hmm. so you, you, you know, after that got out that I, I wasn't that thrilled with the album, I said, yeah, maybe that's something I shouldn't have really, <laughs> really been that honest about. Because I really, you know, because I know there are people that come up to me and say, wow, this album's the greatest thing I ever heard. And, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in telling you, really, I thought it was a bunch of crap. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that. Damn. Well, I'm one of them people. And I don't, I, I and I don't feel, you know, I don't feel that. You know, I'm I just do. saying that, you know, I am allowed to have my own opinion about anything that I'm involved in just because I'm listening to it For as sure. if I were, if I had bought that album and taken it home and listened to it, what would I have thought about it? I would have said, you mm. know, I like that. I wasn't too crazy about this. 
Right. And even if it's me. Now, from my perspective, I'll be absolutely honest with you. I don't really care for anything that I played on that album other than what I played on 8. Damn. All the other stuff that I played on, I, I didn't think it was, was my best work. I would have loved to have actually have had a, a second shot at some of that stuff. But, you know, Prince moves fast, and I understand right. that. And, 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 and that's, the, that's the wonderful thing about working with Prince. Because basically, whatever solo that I'm going to play, you get one shot. Mm. So you better, come with your, you better come with your A game. And maybe, you know, maybe, I, I don't know. I just never felt that I, that, I, that I was on my A game with most of that stuff. And like I say, on six, I was just, I was tired and I was pissed. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm hardly going to my A game on that. You know, maybe four o'clock in the afternoon, if I had a good eight hours sleep, right. maybe I'd come in and maybe I would have done something that would have been now. But the important thing is Prince was cool with it, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. So there's the other standpoint is like, you know, I'm still this is still his music and my job is still the same. I have to give him what he's looking for. And if this is what he's cool with, then I'm cool with that. Right now, the second Madhouse album um, was somewhat of a different story. Because the second Madhouse album was more like the Flesh Sessions. We went in with Sheila, Prince, Levi, and myself. And we went in and started to jam. And we basically constructed most of those songs, um, all four of us. So there was a lot much more give and take. Prince would give, you know, Sheila, Sheila, give us a groove. Just give us a groove. And we'll just start playing. And then within a few minutes, I might come up with a line. And Prince said, that's a cool line. Change a couple notes. Prince has got a keyboard line, Levi's got a bass line, and all of a sudden, within a few minutes, we got something that we said, we cool with this? All right, stop tape, now let's hit it. We got to put a form together, we'll do the melody two or three times, we got a little bridge here, Eric, you got the first solo, I'll take the second one, let's roll. And that's how most of the second Madhouse album was done. Okay. Um, so from my standpoint, it, 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 I, I like, I, there were a couple of things on the, on the second Madhouse album I wasn't that crazy about, but overall, I really liked most of what was on the second Madhouse album. But, um, but once again, that's personal taste. I understand there were a lot of people that prefer the first Madhouse album because it's got a lot of the quirky stuff that Prince is known for, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, I, and I understand it, that, that that personality of his was, was very much present on that album. Um, the third Madhouse album that we had actually recorded was actually kind of like the first one in that he had all the tracks done, and he just brought me in to plug, plug, you know, plug, plug my stuff into it. But as I was saying, after we came off the road from, from the Love Sexy tour and we had done that third Madhouse album, I didn't hear anything more about it. So, um, so when Prince asked Alan to ask me what I thought about it, that told me that maybe Prince was having second thoughts about it. So I told Alan, I said, tell Prince that I'd like to go in the studio and maybe remix a couple things. And so Alan got back to me and said, Prince said, that's fine. So said, go in and, and screw around with it, which really told me that Prince was maybe starting to have second thoughts about it. Um, before I could even get in the studio to do anything on it, Prince, Prince called me and said, let's scrap that one and start over. Mm. I said, oh, okay, cool. Now that was fine with me because I really wasn't, that thrilled with the third one either um there was some stuff on it it was it was sequenced as a vinyl album because that was still vinyl in those days so okay. one side of it had four songs on it the other side was going to be what was called the dopamine rush suite which yeah. was like a 17 or 18 minute thing yeah um there were parts of that that i liked most of the rest of the album i wasn't that crazy about 
So I said, oh, cool, this is good. So this keeps, this keeps the project alive because it was still in my interest to do another Madhouse album. But it was like, okay, now we can start from scratch. Oh, maybe, you know, maybe we get some better music. <laughs> more, 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 you know, or, or music that maybe... Anyway, what happened between that and over the next few weeks is that Prince then called me out, and we had a meeting, and we sat down, and Prince handed me four cassettes, old analog, you know, back in the day, we were still dealing with cassettes. Mm-hmm. Four cassettes filled with about 40 pieces of music from the vault. Damn. All, un- I still have those cassettes. All unfinished stuff, all instrumental stuff, some of which might have been three, four, five years old. Some of the things were actually outtakes from the sessions that we had done for the second Madhouse album hmm. and a whole bunch of other stuff. And he, and he gave me a sheet of paper which he had written down a whole bunch of notes and ideas for things. And he said, take these four cassettes. And he said, start here. Listen to these cassettes. Anything from this stuff that you want to use, go ahead and use. Wow. Do any and everything you want to do with any of this stuff. Anything that you don't like, throw it aside. If you have enough for an album, fine. If you don't, then we'll start to find some other stuff. But he said, start here. Now, I'm thinking, well, this is different because this is the first time that he had come to me in, Mad- in, in, in Madhouse and said, you got it. Start, you know, here are the tracks, go for it. So I looked at him and I said, uh, you must be busy. <laughs> and he said, and, and yeah, he had just gotten handed the Batman project. Mm. So he was going to be busy creating all this music ostensibly, you know, which ended up being, you know, his, his Batman album. Also, he was in the very early stages of ideas for what became the Graffiti Bridge movie and project, which happened the next year. And he had a deadline for this Batman. He had to get this stuff done quick because the movie was almost done and was going to be released in like a couple months. So he had to get this stuff turned in quick. So he was busy. So I said, okay. Now, the only thing was is that I'm getting started on all this stuff, and I'm thinking, well, you know, at any given time, Prince could come in and take any and everything that I've been doing and completely change it or throw it out and start over. So I'm saying, I don't know how deep emotionally I want to invest myself in what I'm doing because he could come in and scrap everything and just start over. But as the summer went by, I realized that I wasn't hearing from him. He was off busy. So I said, well, okay, in for a dime, in for a dollar. I'll just run with this stuff. So over a period of a few months, I started taking some of the songs and reworking I, and ended up did a lot of post-production on a lot of this stuff. And then I took the Dopamine Rush Suite, which was, and which I like part of it, and I chopped it up. I took 10 minutes out of it. I just took out, I basically went to the whole thing. I said, I like this. I don't like that. I like this. I don't like that. And I squeezed all the stuff together that I liked, and that was the new Dopamine Rush. Wow. And fortunately, he approved. I was a little leery about that because this was a finished thing of his that I was basically saying, I'm taking your music and I'm chopping it up. And I was a little leery about what, how he was going to react to that, but fortunately he said, no, that's fine. I really like what you did with that. So I said, cool. So we'll put that on the album because that I really dug. So I sequenced an album after a few months. I had brought in Matt Bliston to do a lot of horn parts with me. I brought in uh, a guy named Larry Fertangelo, who was a percussionist that used to play with P-Funk. He came in and, and did percussion on it. And interestingly, there was a couple songs that I had re-edited and changed a lot, and I needed new piano solos on them that Prince had already done on these tracks before, that I'd basically chopped it up that what he had put on it wasn't going to work any longer. So I went to him and I said, Prince, 
I need you to come in and do a couple piano solos on two of these songs that I'm working on. And Prince said to me, he says, I've been hearing, you know, I, I would give him rough mixes as the stuff was going along. So he at least had some idea what I was doing with it. And he said, judging on what you're doing with this stuff, I'm not the guy for this. You need to call Ricky Peterson. Mm. Now, Ricky, of course, is Paul's older brother, keyboard player, who, you know, went on to do a lot of production work for Prince later. Uh, and, of course, has been David Sanborn's keyboard player. You know, Ricky's a phenomenal keyboard player. Mm-hmm. He's out with Stevie Nicks right now. You know, okay. so I mean, he's, he's a first call. He's a first call pianist and, and, and keyboard, but uh, just a marvelous jazz pianist also. And when Prince is coming to me and said, uh-uh, you don't need me for this. You need Ricky. Yeah. So I said, okay, I called Ricky. And Ricky came in and, and nailed it. You know, just brought a whole different thing to it. So that's Prince's respect, you know, mm-hmm. for, for hearing this and saying, oh, no, no. Uh, I'm not the guy you need for this. You need Ricky. So I said, well, if Prince says I need Ricky, um, I need Ricky. And Ricky came in and was cool. So I finished the album. I sequenced it. I had it mixed, and I gave it to Prince. And Prince called me a few days later, and he said, Eric, I really love everything that you've done on this. The only problem is, and I said, oh, boy, now what? When I hear him say, but, I said, oh, shit, okay, now what? <laughs> he said, doesn't sound like a Madhouse album to me anymore. Hmm. And I said, well, Prince, you know, I kind of understand that because you and me still are going to hear music differently. And although, although all of these tracks were your tracks to begin with, my sensibility and what I was going to do with them were going to be different than if you or I were working together in the studio because you basically just gave it to me. So it's just going to be whatever I hear, and that's going to be significantly different enough from what you would do on it. So I'm thrilled that you like it, but what are you going to do with it? And he said, I'm going to release it under your name. Well, I couldn't argue, you know, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, so two days later, I had a contract for me, for me. Eric Leeds is now, you know. Wow. So that was going to be a Madhouse album, but then it turned into, in, into my first album, which was called Time Squared. And he said to me, you need one more song on it. We, we don't have quite enough. Is, is, you know, we're, we're doing CDs now, so you need another song. So I went back in the studio and, and, and recorded a song of my own to throw on, on, on the album. Which one was so that? Other than that one. Uh, it was the first song. It was called Lines. It was, it was actually okay. the first song on, on the CD. That, that was that was entirely. It was, a, it was a song that I had written years before that I'd never had any, never gotten a chance to do anything with. Hmm. Uh, but everything else was basically you know stuff that had begun with Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what led, led into that. So basically, at that point, he said, you know, um, and he said, you know, it's not that we may never do anything under the Madhouse name again, but right now, you got it. Right. You know, we'll release this under your name and, and take it from there. So, you know, so I, that album came out, and then he gave me, the, like I say, the opportunity to do a second album, which was called Things Left Unsaid. Now, years later, um, I've got about two albums worth of, of stuff that he and I and Michael Bland and Sonny and Levi right, and Tommy right. Elm and different combinations recorded ostensibly for Madhouse albums that never, that never you know, mm-hmm. came out. So, um, so it's not like we couldn't have done. And, and, and actually, some of that stuff was really, really nice. <laughs> This is really cool shit, and I'm sorry that some of that stuff never came out. But um, you know, I've heard a little bit of the ones with uh, I think it was Sonny and Michael and yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there there was one song actually. There was one that we did call Seventeen that came out on a on on a uh, like a compilation. Oh, one eight hundred. The only one that was yeah yeah. It was it, it was it was the only one that was officially released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything everything else has come out is is you know bootleg. But yeah, that 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 stuff gets out. But that 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 first uh, the Eric Leeds album that you did, mm-hmm. man, that that was a dope album. I remember when that came out, 
And now I'm I'm a I'm a madhouse purist in the sense of like so I, when I heard it I was like yeah this ain't madhouse and it took me a second to like to accept it not that it wasn't good it's just I was expecting a very certain different type of sound right ex- ex- exactly but exactly. when I started really getting into yeah. it like the song uh, Night Owl I think it is. Right. That's cold stuff, man. Then just um, I got I got some live I got a couple uh, live versions of us doing that that are off the hook. <laughs> oh man, that, yeah, that song is. I mean, a lot of these songs is dope, man. I throw that up on YouTube sometimes. Some of the live you stuff should, with, with you know. But yeah, that's a good. Well, thank, that's a thank great you, man. I, I I really appreciate that. Now, I mean, obviously, from my own personal standpoint, the second album that I did is the one that means the most to me. Now, okay. I understand entirely why many of the Prince fans probably don't listen to that album as much as they might be mm-hmm. because that's, there was nothing about Prince, you know, in that, you know, that was my weather report album. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, and, 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 uh, it was weather reports rhythm section on, on, on half of that album. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, and I did most of that album in New York, actually with New York cats. Okay. So, so, I mean, that was entirely different. So that, you know, that's an album that, that, you know, if if you're really expecting something like Madhouse or even Times Squared, mm-hmm. that album isn't isn't going to work for you. You know, and I, I get that. Right. You know, um, uh, so. real quick, just to go back to the to Madhouse for a second, and wanted to mm-hmm. talk about like uh, the reception uh, that that you guys got from those albums. Um, and I remember, I think it was you and maybe it's Levi. You and Levi. I remember you guys went on a video soul with Donnie Simpson. Yeah, we were with Donnie Simpson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, that was. I mean, I remember when and y'all had the. Uh, were y'all wearing cloaks or hoods and stuff? Yeah, we were. Yeah, we had those capes. The capes. Yeah. Who, whose idea yeah. was that? The, that look was that Prince. Well, that, well, the, 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 that was that was Prince's idea. I'm okay. pretty sure that was Prince's idea. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so we wore those. Now I, he he wanted he he had me wearing that cape on some of the on 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 sign of the times for a while and mm-hmm. i hated wearing it because first of all it was very uncomfortable and and the cape it, it always got in the way of my hands ah. so it was difficult so, so the cape was always in the way of, of, of my horns i was always brushing it out of the way to try to play so it was, it was I, I, I couldn't stand wearing that thing, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was you know it was it was the, it was it was the look <laughs> yeah, no, and and you guys and you know i have to shout out how, how do you say uh Old girl's name, Masia. Man- oh, Manisa. Manisa. Yeah, Manisa Leitner. Be- yeah. Beautiful, yeah. like them covers yeah. onto themselves. So- oh yeah, no, the covers are dope. Yeah. Now, <laughs> did you, now, did you, you get know, to go did, to the photo did, shoots? We did, too, we did No, I, I wasn't a part. Of, you know, I wasn't around the photo shoot. I missed, missed that. Um, but um, we did two videos. Yes. And um, and uh, and and Matt Fink and I, we play we play policemen in the video. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and Manisa is in the videos, and on the first one. For the song, I think it was for ten. Um, I have to manhandle her a little bit. <laughs> All right, now. <laughs> that was one. More, that was one of the more enjoyable video shoots. <laughs> <I tell you. laughs> That's worth the whole thing, right there. There you go. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. So I apologize for Manisa for having the manhandle, but she understood what the gig was. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that reminds me, I have to ask you this. Uh, speaking of videos, say so you guys had two videos, and actually, you guys, mm-hmm. that, one of those videos was early appearance of, uh, I guess, the Game Boys, like Tony M and them. Were, right, were in yeah. those mm-hmm. videos. That was before yeah. they. Well, they were. They were actually in Purple Rain. Purple Rain, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah, just that one little shot of them. I think you know something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to go back to your uh, your 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 movie uh, that you guys. Had, well, you were in the movie. Uh, I think the, the stars of it were uh, Brooks, 
and Wally. Oh, <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. What was a hard oh life? I think it was. Uh, yeah, like, hard life or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. T- talk yeah. to us about that. But I will say this: when you, when they the music though, I mean, they're playing the Madhouse and the music. It was it was fire, man. But but that was yeah, an yeah. odd project, I and mean, it never officially came out. But what was going no, was, on with it was that? Just, it was just one of those things that Prince felt like doing one day. Okay. He, you know, he, you know, he just came to rehearsal one day and said, oh, "Okay, we're going to make a little movie today." You know, so he, wow. he hired a little film crew to come in, mm-hmm. and you know, we spent I think one afternoon or two afternoons doing that. And that was, in, and and it was only going to be for his private use. It was never never meant to, be, you know, it was just for us. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Were, were, were there other sort of project things like that that we've never heard of that you guys did? Other little movies that? Um, not that I can think of offhand. Okay. You know, he might have. I've been told that occasionally might have done something like that, maybe back in the early days. You know, maybe, you know I'm, not, I'm not sure. Maybe before my time. I'm, I'm not really sure. There was, I, I think I there was a controversy thing he did. I've seen might clips from it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Madhouse. Um, now, talk to me about the, the, the live uh, thing on Madhouse. I, I have uh, one of your concert recordings from Germany where you mm-hmm. guys opened up. Uh, yeah, we we, we did it. We we would do a twenty minute Madhouse set uh, as, as the opening uh, for the Sign of the Times gigs all through Europe. Okay. And uh, um, the band, the working band, was me and 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 Matt Fink, Levi, and the drummer was a guy named Dale Alexander, who was who was a, a, a old friend of Prince's. He'd known since he was a kid or something. He was the drummer on. Just, Dale never played on any of the records. He was he was just the the, the drummer we used on on those live gigs. Mm. So we would do like a twenty minute set. Uh, to open up the Sign of the Times concert, and then we did um, several club gigs. Yes, uh, Madhouse club gigs that would that would invariably end up being long. You know, Madhouse would come out and play for like forty five minutes, and then then Prince and whoever else in the band would get on stage, and then we'd jam for another hour. You know, whatever. So. Yeah, and you would do like a, uh, I heard you do in a sentimental mood. You'd- I did that. Occasionally, I would do that just as okay. a solo on some of the club gigs. Yeah, now, now we we didn't do it on the concert, but just at a gotcha. club gig. Oh, I would, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was just... it was just my way of showing everybody I could play some jazz. Too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, let me open it up to the guys. Did you guys have any other additional questions? Okay. Yeah, I had a I had a couple of quick questions. So, I mean, you. You talked earlier, we were talking about the Miles Davis thing, and you said that, you know, Prince had was already familiar with a lot of Miles Davis's work that he had listened to. So I would assume that in, in a lot of the time that you were with him, that you and him probably had many discussions about other kinds of uh, musicians. So I'm wondering, did you hip him to any particular jazz artists and albums? And like, if you did, like, which ones did he gravitate to? Which one did you notice that he really got into? Um, yeah, I... I, I... I gave him I gave him a love supreme. I mean, you, you know, he, he might have had a passing understanding of Coltrane, but I don't think that was an artist that he was that really much into. I gave him a love supreme, and for a while he was playing the hell out of that. He, he mm. seemed to really dig that. I also gave him Duke Ellington live at Newport, the the, the infamous album, you know, famous yes, album, great 1956, album. with you know, Dominion and Crescendo and Blue, the twenty seven blues chorus solo by Paul Gonzalez in the middle of that, and he absolutely loved that. Um, and then some of the, you know, the Miles stuff that he basically was aware of and listened to was stuff, some of the Gil Evans stuff, Sketches of Spain, Kind of Blue, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. 
yeah. Jack Johnson, you know, some of the more, you know, the electric stuff. Um, he really wasn't that aware of the second quintet. So one, one Christmas, I gave him ESP, Miles Smiles, Sorcerer Nefertiti, Miles in the Sky, and Kilimanjaro as a, as a Christmas gift. Nice. And I have no real knowledge to what extent he might have listened to that stuff. I suspect, I, I'm, I'm sure he checked it out. Um, but I, I, you know, don't really know to what extent that, that he really got into that era that much. Um, but we would talk about Weather Report because he knew I absolutely love Weather Report, and I, you know, and, and I was very familiar with it, with, with those guys. So, so we talk about Weather Report now and then, and, and, and you know, he was, he certainly was into Herbie Hancock and Headhunters and that stuff. Nice. Um, you know, he, he, used to, he used to occasionally like to hear Alan talk to him about James Brown, of course. You know, he was always fascinated about hearing James Brown stories. <laughs> Yeah. And to what to what extent to what extent did did you yourself personally get into the the uh, I, I know you were into bitches brew and and in a silent way like how mm-hmm. far into the electric miles period were you, were you into like were you into the at Fillmore stuff on the corner oh absolutely, oh, absolutely. Fun, all those yeah. albums? I I was I was diehard I mean I was even one of my few buddies that was into the acid funk band you know the band with Pete Cosey and, and Reggie Lewis yeah 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 I freaking loved that band. I mean, see, I, I already, I already it. liked you, but see, see, now you just went up even more with me, man. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate, I love that stuff. I had to get some of that stuff imported from Japan myself personally. Well, yeah, the yeah, the here. original album, yeah, Egghart and Pangea, the, you know, the original albums yeah. I have are the Japanese imports. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. I've, I've, you know, Alan and Alan and I have over the years, we've, we've, um, we have a collection. Alan and I have about 150 Weather Report gig tapes, and wow. we've got about, a, we've got about probably a good 40 or 50 of miles gigs from that band, oh, you know, over the years. Um, and I tell you, I tell you a funny thing. When, when I had dinner with miles and Prince that night, one of the first things I wanted to talk to miles about was that band because that band was critically panned. Nobody liked that band. I mean, all, you know, the jazz writers, no, you know, they hated band because they're a funk band. They, they, they didn't get it. Um, and I asked Prince, I asked Miles about that band, and Miles looked at me and laughed, and he said, "Eric, you like that band?" And I said, "Man, I love that band." And excuse me, he said, "You know the motherfucker I've ever heard that like that band? Nobody <laughs> liked that band." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "No, Miles, there were a few of us that, you know, loved that band." Yeah, damn straight. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. One. And one other last question. This is this is just one a one off. But you know, one of my favorite you know Prince unreleased cuts that you guys played was Data Bank. Mm-hmm. And then oh, right sure. before right before your you know he gets into your part you know he goes movie star funky nasty drives an <laughs> ugly car. What in the world kind of car were you driving that was so ugly that Prince had to put this in the song? Um, I love it. Oh yeah. I guess I guess I was still driving my little my little um. I guess I was driving my, still my little my my little Mazda GLC. You know, it was a, like a you know it was a, a, a kind of box. Oh, I was a bar on, band, you know, I was a bar band musician for that. I mean, you know, if I could have four wheels and four doors and a steering wheel, I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, now I'll tell you a funny thing though. I, I, he, now here's a, here's a different perspective on that. It was like you know this was 1980. I, uh, about a month or two after that, I bought a new car, so I got something that was a little you know a little hipper, but. But um, that car, this is 19, it was, a, it was a 1981 Mazda GLC, you know, just a little four-door Ocano box. 
Mm-hmm. I actually took James Brown to the airport once in that car. Mm. And go. James Brown loved it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He looked at me and said, this, he said, Rick, this is your car? I said, yeah, Mr. Brown. He said, well, this is a sensible car. You're a smart young man. You're not buying all those fancy, that, that, those, you know, those, those gas hogs. You've got a sensible car here. That's a, you're a smart young man. <laughs> I was in hysterics. James Brown riding in, in, in like a little, you know, Oh, poop. <laughs> he didn't care. That's what James Brown. He said, I got a ride at the airport. That's all I care about. You know? <laughs> but, but yeah, no, awesome. so, so yeah, it was my, my, my little, my little silver gray GLC that the prince was. I just always thought that was hilarious. Every time I hear that song, that that's the way that he introduced, you know, puts you to your solo is to tell the right, to right. dish yeah. your car. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that was, you know, that, that's, that's, that's fine. You know, <laughs> I got the solo. <laughs> That's what you did. <laughs> you <know. laughs> awesome. Well, I'll actually tell you. Uh, um, I'm sure you probably know this. Probably know this song. Probably of anything that I can offer the top of. You know, I. I one day looked through my journals and and counted up. I did over 150 recording sessions with him wow. over the years, and I would say 90 to 95 percent of the stuff has never been released. Wow. Um, and I have very little recollection. I mean, I could look back and I could look at, you know, through my journal and tell you the titles of all these songs. I could no more tell you what this music sounded like. I mean, some of the stuff I have, you know, some of the stuff, you know, some of the things I've got rough mixes on or some of this stuff, but most of it I don't. But I do have, fortunately, there was a song that we did. It was actually Wendy and Lisa's song. And I'm sure you know, it was, it was uh, Searching for a Penny in a Room with, with, yeah, with No Light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is one of my favorite songs that, that, I ever did with, you know, that, awesome I mean, yeah, that is just one of my favorite things that Prince ever recorded. Um, and it was, but it was basically, it was Wendy and Lisa's song. I think I, I, I suppose the lyrics were his, although I don't really, I'm not really sure, but I guess they probably were, but it was Wendy and Lisa who basically put that song together and was Sheila on drums on that. Um, wow. and I, I just, I always loved that, but you know, that song is very, very different. I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of any other Prince song that sounds anything like that. Hmm. Yeah, what really what did you think of his remake of it? I've never heard it. Oh. Yeah. Were you aware that he redid it? I think somebody had mentioned it, oh. but I I've I've I I I've never heard it, you know. All right. Yeah, that that's that's one of those sort of holy grail songs to the fans that I, yeah, there's like a very bad quality version circulating, but we want to hear like the studio quality. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got I've got the rough, you know. I I don't know if there was ever a final mix. You know, I've I've got I've got three different rough mixes on it oh, wow. that he gave me that that he gave me when when we did it um, that I have that I you know hold on to. Um, I am not somebody that gives out bootleg stuff. You know, not not uh-huh. recorded stuff. I hear you. So. Um, if, if 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 you know a live gig, you know, because I've got, you know I've got a lot of. Well, you know, I've got a lot of live gigs. So probably, probably all of the live gigs that I've got are, are already out there. Mm. You know, um, that's one thing because I mean that was you know you know the whole purpose was to play that music in front of people. Right. So, um, but I, I I do have a philosophical thing about that 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 regardless of how much any of us might might, might have liked a recorded piece of music. Um, that's up to the artist to determine whether mm. it you know should be released and for whatever re- reason that anything wasn't released. You know, if I happen to have it, it's it's gonna you know that's gonna stay with me. Um, 
I know. can respect that. What do you think about uh, unreleased music? I mean, going forward in terms of his legacy and, and should should his you know family or whatever put start putting that out or what do you, what do you think about that? Um, it, it's 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 an interesting question because. Um, and I, I, I do know that Prince wasn't too, wasn't too thrilled with the idea of, of that with other artists because, you know, there was so much of, of stuff that was in, in, in the Miles Davis catalog has, you know, been released over the years. And, and I remember once having a conversation about it. He was asking me once years and years ago, he said, so what, what, are, you, what are you listening to now? I said, well, I'm listening to the same old shit. But I said, there was just a new compilation of Miles stuff that was just released from, you know, stuff that he'd recorded in, in the 60s and 70s that, that's just being released for the first time. And I said, I'm just digging on that. And, and you know, Miles has been dead for 10 years. And he said, and, and Prince said something, you know, to lead me that that isn't something that he approved of. You know, I said, Miles is dead. Why are they releasing stuff now that, that, you know, and I told Prince, I said, you know, I don't think Prince, I don't think Miles ever had a problem with that because they would release a lot of stuff that Miles had previously recorded, even when he was alive, that they would do without asking him. Miles, I never read any, had any indication that Miles really cared. Miles wanted to get paid because every time they released the new, you know, stuff that he was getting paid. So I think that's all Miles really cared about. Um, So I... So I really don't know. I mean, obviously, I think there's certainly stuff in in the vault that would only add to Prince's legacy. But still, it's personal opinion. Because, you know, I could could go in the vault and I could say, oh, I don't think that song should be released. And I think that sounds, you know, just a bunch of crap. Another person might hear that and say, oh, no, I think that should be released. I think that's great. So, I mean, who's, you know, whose opinion matters? I don't really know. Um, what I do know, and, the, and, and I've said this before, that most of the stuff that's in the vault is actually probably stuff that's unfinished. Mm. Because Prince would go in the studio every day because he didn't, because that's all he knew what to do with himself. And since he had the, the, the ability to go into a studio almost any time he wanted, so it doesn't mean that every day he was really in there making great music. He was just doing what he does because. That's all he knew what to do with himself. That's all he was really interested in doing. And a lot of times, there was a process with him that he might spend days or weeks in the studio just doing different things, recording different pieces of music, and he might lose interest after a day. Well, that didn't go anywhere. I'll throw that aside. And usually, it would be working to a point where he might have an idea for what he wanted the music of the next album to be about, and he would just start recording. And anything that came into his head, he was just like throwing up against the wall and see if it would stick. And over a period of time, then it might start to come together where all of a sudden he said, I've been in the studio just doing stuff, and now I got it in my head what I need to do. And that's the day that he would go in and record a song that might be, you know, his next When Doves Cry. You know, so there was a lot of a lot of it's just work product. It's just it's just mm-hmm. music that he records as part of the process for him to get from point A to point B, you know, to get where it was that he's looking to get. Mm-hmm. And it might take him a while to get there. So that's what I, I really think is 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 in the vault is a lot of just unfinished stuff that was just part of the process. So. All right. Uh, last few questions. And I really appreciate you giving us so much time here. Sure. Really respect that. Uh, I actually I got a question here from y- y- your buddy Paul Peterson. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> he he says he says uh, 
Ask him what his favorite locomotive is and why. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. <laughs> See, what Paul knows is that the only thing that I love more than the music that I love is trains and railroads. Ah, okay. <laughs> Since I was a little kid, the only thing that I could probably ever imagine being other than a musician was being a railroad engineer or something. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So, so do you I have, like, love... train sets and stuff? And... Oh, I, I, I did. I've still got a lot of trains. They're all in storage. Wow. But, I mean, if you come to my apartment, most of the books are all about trains wow. i got records and i got books about trains and okay. that's, that's, that's what I, and baseball that's my other love in life is baseball uh, right. um yeah i'll give you my favorite locomotive the, the pennsylvania gg1 and and any and no one's gonna know what that means other than somebody who knows anything about trains so, <laughs> hey we got google so if there's anything you know the pencil you know they'll, they'll know what i mean the rest of it i understand you don't have a clue i'll leave it i'll leave it at that <laughs> we'll, we'll look it up online we'll google it we'll, we'll learn. google it you, you, yeah there you go there you go all right um let's see oh i wanted to ask you about some of the new uh, musicians you know now this guy i'm going to mention he's not new uh but mm -hmm. d'angelo um i saw a great video yeah you guys years ago now it was you were on stage with d'angelo jesse johnson was up there you guys were doing uh uh, my summertime thing. Uh, oh yeah, well that that was that was um, that was actually Questlove's gig. It was oh, it was okay. at the uh, uh, Bonnaroo festival, yes, you know yes, the, yes, the big yes. festival they do in Nashville every year, and it was uh, uh, was it was a, a special uh, all star group that that Questlove put together. Okay. So it was yeah it was Questlove, D'Angelo, uh, Jesse, myself, uh, Kirk Kirk Douglas, mm -hmm. uh, Poiser on guitar on, on keyboards, um, and and Pino. Uh, Paladino on bass. Okay. So it was like, yeah, it was a you know pretty pretty good group. Um, yeah, we were we rehearsed uh, that afternoon, threw it together, and went up and did the, did the gig. That was it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, do you, and I'm asking this because this is kind of some of my opinions, but I'm just curious. When, when I look at a guy like D'Angelo, who, who I'm a huge fan of, I love yeah. D'Angelo's stuff. That, that's you know, Alan Alan is D'Angelo's manager. That's right. Way. That's right. Yeah. Um, and in some regards. You know, I'm not. Let me be very careful. I'm not saying that he is the next Prince or any of that sort of thing. But in terms of black R&B, with the, you know, with the guys up front, you know, and the mm -hmm. band and that whole thing, to me, he sort of was a resurgence to bring that to the forefront, at least. And he's a very soulful artist. Oh uh, yeah, no, absolutely, and and yeah, and I mean, you know, he's always had killer bands, and and yeah. oh yeah, well, Prince Prince is his guy. That, oh, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. I, I oh, know yeah. he's a heavy Prince fan, uh, yeah. because I can just hear it in his vocals and everything he does. Sure. What, what do you yeah. What do you see uh, in terms of a, like a D'Angelo, and even like, uh, a current guy right now who I really dig is like a Bruno Mars. I don't know if you heard his newer stuff. Uh, I've I've got to be absolutely honest with you. Please be, please be. I no longer have interest in music. Really. You got to be. Joking. I mean, as, as far as as far as as the music that I love, which was basically R and B mm -hmm. um, and jazz, I still listen to some young jazz artists, but I don't seek out new music any longer. Um, which doesn't mean that if I stumbled upon something that I wouldn't enjoy it. It's just that for me, I've heard it all, mm. and. So it's like I, I suspect that it, that if I was going to say okay, I'm going to spend a few days and just seek out and you know new artists, whether it's Bruno Mars or or anybody else, I'm sure there's some stuff that I would enjoy, but 
it's not essential to me any longer. Um, and I, I, I guess that's a function of, of just my age as, as much as anything, although, although Alan is, is actually a little older than I, but he, he's still more, you know, is more interested in seeking out mm-hmm. newer artists and things like that. Um, I just, I, I just, like I say, pretty much everything I've, I've, I've heard before. So even if it's a distinctive voice or a distinctive okay. way of looking at it, um, it, it just doesn't really have that much of a purpose for me any longer. And there's still so much, particularly in jazz, um, I'm still trying to fill up the, ca- the you know the spaces in my catalog of my old Freddie Hubbard collection, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or Horace Silver and guys that you know that that along the way is is music I haven't you know filled up or whatever, and I can go back and 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 find that stuff because that stuff is still new to me if I haven't heard it before. Um, and also at this point, I spend more time concentrate on music that's really the kind of music that I, I really want to in, uh, want to play. Mm. Um, okay. So my, my perspective is, is a little different. So um, D'Angelo, I have an uh, uh, awful lot of respect for you. I mean, he, you know, he's got great music and, and, and great bands. I mean, the bands he puts together are killer. Um, and, um, but it's, it's just that I, it, it just doesn't, I just don't see, you know, for me personally, it, it just doesn't really have that much of a purpose any longer. Um, and I can't, I can't say I miss it, you know, because there's still, you know, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my studio right now, and I'm looking at, at, at my collection. I'm looking right now at over 2,000 albums, you know, wow. on, on, on my, and, you know, about 85% of them are jazz albums. And I could spend the rest of my life just, you know. I, you see, the thing about, you know, the greatest music for me, like the greatest stuff of Miles, is that even though I've listened to Sorcerer and Nefertiti and those albums probably hundreds of times, I can still hear something in them that I've never heard before, mm. you know? Okay. And that's the nature of what that music means for me. Now, the other thing that I, I, I haven't mentioned is that there's another music that is probably, for me, the most perfect genre of music that's ever been conceived, and Afro-Cuban music. Mm. My favorite living musician in all the world is Eddie Palmieri. Okay. Now, a lot of people don't know who the hell he is, but I mean, you know, he, he's like the he's like the combination of Miles and Prince and, and, and John Coltrane and Monk and conceptually uh-huh. for Afro-Cuban music. The guy's 80 years old and he still makes music like he's 20 years old, you know, hmm. and. Oh, you there? Who we lose? We lost Eric. One second. Call him back up. Uh, maybe his phone died or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. We'll get him back on here. Uh, maybe we won't. What's going on? He just died on us. Well, yeah, we can make it a three-part <clears> thing. <throat> we had four hours. This might be a record, Mike. I know, right? <clears throat> <clears throat> Okay. Hello. Yeah, I think we got. Yeah, I think, I think my phone might have gone dead. Or I kind of figured that's okay. We, we can wrap up here, but you were you were talking yeah. about this artist. So I just wanted to let you finish that. Yeah. So so anyway, it's it's just for me. You know, there's there, there's still so much of the music that I grew up with and the artists that are still so compelling for me that that I'm you know still into. So I, for me, it just really hasn't seemed. You know, there just hasn't really been that much of a, of, of uh, a reason for me to want to really seek out new music. 
which okay. you, you know maybe sometime I should. I'm like I said. I'm sure I'll probably could find some things, but I I, I can't really answer the question about having a, fa- a favorite because it, you know it's just not kind of where I'm at right now. Okay. Um, we must also quickly wanted to just to talk about F Deluxe and, and get yes, an update please. on what's going yeah. on with that. Now you guys yeah. have put out. I want to say is it two albums? We've actually put out four. Oh, um, you, you know, when we got yeah, when we got back together, um, you know, the purpose was to do new music. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, 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 the opportunity. Because when we when we decided to get back together, I told Paul and Susanna, I said, you know, I don't have a clue as to what kind of music you guys can write. Mm. You know, at least for something like this. And I said, if you if 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 all you're going to do is just bring music that reminds me of of you know what the family album is, I'm not going to be interested. Because been there, done that. Uh, and and the music that they were writing, I thought was so cool, and it re- you know it was really interesting for me to you know try to try to do my thing on that. So so the, the, so the first album that was called Gaslight, I'm mm-hmm. I'm really I just I, I absolutely love that album. But that's that's you know Paul and Susanna and Wendy and Lisa wrote a couple things for that too. Um, and then we 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 did a um, we did a companion CD that came out, which was a, a bunch of re, you know remixes of some of the stuff from that called Relit. Mm-hmm. Then we did a live CD called uh, Live and Tight, um, and then we did an album a couple of years ago called AM Static, which was kind of an album of covers that was kind of okay. kind, of, kind of interesting. Yeah, so we're we're kind of in limbo right now because. Um, you know, we're not signed to a record company. We're all doing this independently. So mm-hmm. it's it's like we we got to put some bucks aside every now and then and be able to get everybody together and go in the studio. And, you know, Suzanne, of course, lives out in L.A. And she's, you know, she, she's got a band of her own. It's her, her and her two daughters. I mean, you, you know, oh, wow. that, 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 that's her life. So, um, and and Paul Paul was on the road all last year playing bass with Peter Frampton, of all things. So, okay. um, you know, so, so, but we're looking, you know, we're looking to try to... You know, continue with that, and and I'm excited about that always because I I just love the music that that Paul and and Susanna write, um, and then Paul and I have our own thing called LP Music, which is a, a, a an instrumental jam band. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you know, it's kind of like I guess it it would be kind of like if Madhouse, you know, Madhouse under the direction of Eric Leeds. You know, it's my music per se, but it's kind of that same, you know, a little bit more of an open ended thing. Um, and, and we've, we've done quite a few successful gigs around town here and we're looking to go in the studio within the next couple months and start to do some recording to try to try to get something to put out with LP music that, and, okay. and that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm really looking for. I got to tell you, um, having gotten to know Paul as well as I have, you know, besides just the fact that he's just absolutely one of the most wonderful people I know, um, he is absolutely one of the most brilliant musicians I've ever worked with. I mean, Paul is just mm. ridiculous. <laughs> he, he really is. Uh, so the opportunity to be able to work with him is something I, I, I really you know cherish. I also want to put a shout out to um, that that I, I don't know you might be aware of. I, I spoke briefly about this band that I was in with Sheila in the mid '90s. We called the E Train. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, it was just an absolutely fabulous band. And the bass player in that band was a fellow by the name of Mark Van Vakenagen. Mark is the, is the bass player with Tower of Power who was hit by the train a couple oh, weeks ago. Oh, right, right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And Mark is, is one of my closest musical buddies and also one of the most incredible bass players I've ever known. And, and, and he is recovering. He's in the hospital. I mean, he was injured mm-hmm. extremely seriously. I mean, Dave Garibaldi was hit by the train also. Mm-hmm. He was seriously hurt. But Mark was really, really, you know, 
injured very, very critically for a while. And and he is recovering. It's going to be a long, long recovery for him. But I just mm. want to put out a shout out because Mark is just one of the greatest people and, and um, you know, one of the finest musicians that that I work with. And once again, you know, my, my, my ability to know Sheila, mm-hmm. you know, leads me to the ability to know somebody like Mark. So it's, you know, that's, that's another wonderful legacy of, of, you know, being involved with Prince is all these other wonderful musicians that I've gotten to know over the years. So anyway. Okay. Wow. And what was his name again? I'm sorry, Mark. What was the last name? Mark von Wachenegger. He's from Amsterdam. So it's, okay. it's, it's yeah, it, it's, uh, go, go, go online. It's, 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 the name is spelled as two words, V-A-N, and the second word is W A G, um, E N G. Oh God, I, I gotta, I gotta write it out. Uh, anyway, it yeah, you can, you can find it. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I just want to double down on, on the shout out to uh, Saint Paul, man. We, we, we gotta get, we gotta get him on the show too, man. So. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That, that's, I yeah. got some things I got to talk to that brother about. <laughs> no, it's all good. Susanna would be. It, Susanna, it, Susanna too. would be somebody interesting to talk to because. Yes. You know, aside aside from the obviously the personal relationship we have with Prince, but just uh, Susanna's a real artist. I mean, she really okay. is. She's an incredible musician, and and like like her sister, obviously. But Susanna could give you a lot of insight about what you know certain aspects of Prince, the artist, mm. that I couldn't give you. You know, okay. because we all had different perspectives because the nature of our relationship was always a little bit different. Right. So Susanna is somebody, along with Wendy and Lisa, but particularly Susanna could probably give you some insight about about the nature of Prince's artistry that I don't think you necessarily could get just from even the, the you know the people that played with them in the band. It's a different perspective. For sure. Really, really interesting. So that you know, I, yeah, I need them all, man. We gotta get them all. We gotta, yeah. we gotta. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, this has been, like I said, eye opener ahead. But I love your frankness, man. I have to, I have to admit. Uh, you, well, I, 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 I appreciate that. And, and like I say, you know, you, you know, the, 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 the bottom line for me is, is that at the end of the day, I was just so fortunate to, to have been thrown into an opportunity that wasn't anything that I necessarily would have aspired, you know, to have. Um, and and. You know, I, I give it up to my brother. He just said, man, come do this because the guy's a remarkable musician, and that's what you're going to get out of it. Mm. And he was absolutely right. And, and, and obviously, you know, even if it had just been that, it would have been cool. But obviously the opportunity that he gave me, you know, gave me to do my own music and, and all the other wonderful people that I knew because of that, that, that you know, I, you know, I, I, I can't, uh, you can't put a dollar figure on that. that that's, worth, that's worth more than all the money that he right. paid me, you know. So. All right. Well, man, uh, like I said earlier, uh, it's such a blessing to hear your playing on the music. To me, it's like when I hear the print stuff that has your horn horn lines and whatever, it, it's official. It's like, okay, this is what I grew up listening to, so I, I well, love thank it. Thank you, man. I, I, I appreciate uh, it. Respect your, your musicianship uh, and the kind of cat that you seem to carry yourself. You seem like a real humble, cool dude. So thank you again for coming on the show. Um, Thank you, all all of you. Big Sexy, Big Kent. Thank yes, you sir. also. Yes, sir. Hey, it was a privilege to talk to you, Eric. Cool. You know, Eric, let me go ahead and say this one quick thing as a fan. Uh, there is one version of Nothing Compares to You, and it has your sax on it. Nothing else matters. Oh, man, thank you so <laughs> much. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, sir. All right, man. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you cool. another time. All right, I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to run my mouth. Oh man, <laughs> nah, was, we, we love it, brother. Trust me. All right, man. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Right. Bye bye. 
Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Uh, the great Eric Lees is a lot to di digest. Uh, I would suggest a second listen, a couple listens to, to get it all in. Uh, of course, big shout out, man, to uh, Big Ken for coming back and joining us with yep, this. Yep. Man, you brought a lot to the great. table. Thank you, sir. It was great, man. It was really nice to talk to him. He's a real cool guy, too. Yeah. Yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> he's funny. Yeah, stuff. he is. Uh, he keeps it 100. He keeps it 100. There's say. no doubt about that. That's true. That's true. Shout out, of course, to Big Sexy and Sack, sir. Thank you, sir. You know, the guy was great. And it's funny because I honestly, because you don't hear a lot of interviews from him in the media. So I, I thought we'd have to, like, pull stuff out of him. No. Eric had something to say. It was great. Nice. He's a great storyteller, man. Um, yeah. All right, we're gonna get up out of here. But as we get out, man, I want to make sure that I always shout out everybody else that's out there doing something in the Prince world, in the community, uh, and keeping the information and just keeping the whole vibe flowing. So, quick shouts to uh, uh, Peach and Black. Shout out to Dr. Funkenberry. Shout out to the Org, uh, to the Purple Underground. Uh, shout out to uh, my guy Casey Rain. Uh, and just shout out to everybody, uh, the, the Prince Army, uh, that's doing their thing. And if I forgot anybody, uh, please, I'm just in the moment. So don't take that as anything. But let's keep this thing rolling. Uh, with that, man, we got to get up out of here. Work it like a job. We'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>